Are we live? It's going live now, so two seconds. No worries. <sighs> right, we are live. We are Woo! live. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Part two. Welcome to the Nerdy Up North <laughs> podcast. Nerdy podcast hosted by Northern Nerds. Again, I am one of your hosts, Sam. And I'm a very stressed host, Paul. And <laughs> if we can have a, a chat check to see who can hear you what, <laughs> that would be very kind. Yes, please. Just to make sure that you are, you can hear us. Yes. Um, Goodwill, can you let us know if you could hear us? <laughs> but um, it looks like things are moving on my side as well. All so, right. Yes. So Goodwill's confirmed that we can hear us. And we are joined by the lovely uh, Grant and Kelly. I'll not mock them this time because I probably jinxed us uh, <laughs> last the, time. The lovely Grant just looked very confused when you said that. <laughs> It's the first time anybody's ever called me lovely in my life. Uh, that's going to be a new nickname in the chat now, Lovely Grant. I'll change your name on here. <laughs> so this week's cult classics. Um, I don't know if anyone picked up on the last bit. Do you want to, do you want to define cult classics, Paul? Yes, I'll try and go back. Sorry if it's repeating myself, but yes, this one's been a bit of a, a troublesome one for me this week because originally my definition of a cult film or a cult classic was very different to what my wife's was or what uh, other people that I've spoken to's was. So I've just went with ones that, like, say, I think I would define as a cult movie just simply because of how they are followed and how they kind of got came about as well. Now, uh, there's probably big ones I've missed off and there's ones I've missed off on purpose because, like I say, we've done a podcast on certain uh directors and stuff that I've probably would have named all five films about but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've kind of stepped off that side but um I don't know about you guys how how have you guys helped found this as well easy google (laughs) google did and said cult classics um possibly breaking my own rule I set a rule when we first started this that we couldn't pick uh when we're doing top fives couldn't pick another one in another episode later on, possibly could be breaking that tonight, given that I can't remember half the lists that we've done. So I can't remember half the picks that I've made. So I'm going to break my own rules. <laughs> I must say, I've had issues with this particular topic because I've changed it so much over mm-hmm. the past week. Um, I did finally finalise it. And it was when I kind of thought, do you know what? There's so many cult classics that I adore um I wanted to give like a kind of rounded shape of the ones that um I believe would be deemed possibly by others as cult classics as well because when I was like looking at the definition it's the idea it's it's something that's acquired a cult following and um create a subculture and people who quoted at each other these films are stuff I quote at my friends you know what I mean that I think that's it's that's that a, kind of togetherness yeah I, I want to go into the root of transgressive films mm-hmm. because that alienates people and stuff. Mm-hmm. I find it wholesome. Oh, let's quote it in each other. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. Of, that's actually a really good way of looking at it. And I think this one might be the most interesting one, given that we all possibly could look at cult movies in a very different way. So it could be one of the most interesting ones. I wouldn't want to say that we've done, but it's an interesting. Yeah, subject. all the rest we've done is shit. This is it. 
this is the defining moment of the Nerdy Up North podcast. But, you, uh, you guys are here for history. <laughs> but um, but thank you everyone in the chat as well. Like, thank you for jumping over from the shit video that didn't work to this one that seems to be working. Um, but. I'll, I'll, I'll let Sam get a disclaimer out the way, yeah. then we'll have a little bit of a discussion of like what each of us like said thought would define a, a cult movie type thing. Cool and the gang. So everything discussed in tonight's episode is our opinions and our opinions alone. If you want to uh, discuss any topic from tonight's episode, please come and join us in the Facebook group and we can have an open discussion. What we won't have is anyone coming for us and telling us our opinions are wrong. We could agree to disagree in fandom. So let's keep it fun, keep it kind and keep the toxic behaviour out of nerdism. Yes, let's do this. Um so yeah, so my definition, like say what I've went for is, as I said, like a few a few seconds ago, a film that probably didn't hit the mark as much when it originally came out, mm-hmm. but then kind of got like a following. But then, yeah. like say, there probably is one film that was big when it first came out, but there's it, it just I, I, you can't define what I would class as a cult movie without it. I don't think. Yeah. So that's one of the picks, but. Yeah, like Sam said, I think we we'll, might have some interesting ones. Mm. I've got a feeling that mine and Grant's might be a little bit similar, but I could be completely wrong. I'll be out of the moon if, if we are. But um, I think mine and yours might be. I don't think so. I think, uh, I, I, think, we'll I, think see. I think I've got. I think I've got a few little surprises there. But um, like I said, I'd go last in this pick. So I know Kelly hasn't been on the podcast for a while. So we'll give the young lady the first first go. So she can go first with number one pick there. Oh, thank you. Um, I decided to go with um, cult movies in a decade sort of form. So I'm going to start with the 60s. All right. Oh, wow. So is it going to be porn? Mention of porn in a bulger, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's um, actually based on a book, a book that I am very, very fond of. It's uh, directed by a fellow called Mark Robson. It was released in 1967 and it is based on a Jacqueline Suzanne novel from 1966 and it's called A Valley of the Dogs. Oh my oh. god! Oh, that's proper god is there. I love Valley of the Dolls. Sharon T. movie. Right, that's yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. it has been a cult following because it was one of Sharon Tate's roles before she was brutally murdered by Marilyn. Uh, I was going to say Marilyn. <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so interesting. <laughs> by the Manson family, she was. Uh, I mean, she was pregnant at the time as well uh, yeah. when first, which made it all the more absolutely fucking horrific but um yeah so i went with this film so it's about three women and their struggle to break into the ever locked entertainment business mm-hmm. each becoming addicted to uh barbiturates or downers or dolls so that the, the way the the tablets are kind of described as, as being dolls so everyone's addicted to dolls uh for very different reasons um these three ladies who would not have like kind of came across each other had it not been for their want to get into the entertainment industry. You've got kind of totally different people who collide and their stories intermingle. And to be honest, 
it's absolute it's it's what you would call nowadays the 50 shades of gray sort mm-hmm. of topic as it were soft yes. porn and everyone's fucking each other and all that sort of stuff but in the 60s that was quite controversial mm-hmm. so one of the reasons why it got that kind of culty sort of air following um it's very it's got a very camp sensibility yes so you've got huge oh you know you've got that lgbt cultural canon coming through with it which i i, I find well especially what was doing burlesque back in the day i really like that that spoke to me but um a little bit of a sum up about the story itself you've got these three characters you've got Anne wells who breaks into the industry via uh, working as a secretary at a theatrical agency and that's how she meets Jennifer North and Neely O'Hara and she she also becomes entwined in a liaison with Lion Burke it's like a fucking Mills and Boone basically yeah it is (laughs) it really is fucking Lion Burke you know what I mean it's been it's been a long time since I've watched it, but it was it's very the colours in it are for the sixties is unreal. It's been so long since I've actually seen it as well. Like I say, I can barely re- re- remember most of it. Like, mm. I'm, um, I, like I say, I think it came out like I might be wrong around the same time as like all the Ken Loach films. Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's mm. definitely part of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Um, no, I, like I think, as I said, the only thing that stands out to me, memory-wise, that I remember is with uh, with the murders happening. I know it was like quite close, close to like one of her last films she made, yeah. and it, it, it's quite on topic that it's a cult film that she was murdered by a, a cult. cult. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, it, and, just, and just and just to say, we are not that type of cult. We no, <laughs> no, we will not let you drink the Kool Aid. We will not. <laughs> We will not ask you to commit any crime that we would not commit ourselves. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. So Speak is... for yourselves. <laughs> Sharon... Do it now. <laughs> you look quite like, like, like yeah, Charles Manson a bit there. You did. <laughs> At least didn't look Skelter, like... Skelter, Skelter. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you, you, you probably give Donna a boner there, bless her. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Sharon's ah. character is absolutely beautiful in the soul, but she's absolutely gorgeous. You usually have that thing where someone is gorgeous, but their soul is just ugly. Yeah. But got a beautiful soul and a, like a beautiful outer bit. Yeah. Um, it's so it's such a shame because Sharon isn't like for all we know her name. And unfortunately, yeah. we know the story behind her. But at the time, Sharon really wasn't that big of an actress. Mm-hmm. Like, she, had so much, she had so much potential. Had so much, oh, 100%. But she didn't do a lot of films. Yeah. Um, this was probably the first big and only one she mm-hmm. ever did. And it's so sad when you watch it to think, what could have been? And yeah. that's why I always find Once Upon a Time in Hollywood devastating at the end. Uh-huh. When she answers that intercom and you're like, that is heartbreaking. That is so fucking heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, what a choice, Kelly. That's an amazing first choice. 
But uh, no, I do adore Sharon Tate's character in it. She's this girl, really down to earth, beautiful chorus girl, comes to Hollywood and marries a nightclub singer called uh, Tony Polar. Um, and <laughs> the fact that his sister's just like, nah. she's like his manager, but she's really body mod- calls him and stuff and doesn't like Jennifer at all. But the reason why she wanted to marry is that he's got Huntington's career. So the, the, the illness that he has is hereditary and he's going to like die from it. Oh. And Jennifer North becomes pregnant. She has an abortion. Um, oh, that's a, it, I forgot about that. And she has to do softcore porn to pay for his bills. Then she realizes she's got breast cancer, kills herself rather than have a mastectomy because her body is her currency. Mm-hmm. That's it, little chill. Wow. That's so, hard <laughs> topics, man, for like, for like, for such a bright film, it's such hard topics and think, the 60s. But I think the 60s was all about controversial, like pushing mm. the boundaries and stuff like that. I think, 100%. as I said, um, with the, uh, like we referenced before with the Ken Loach films and stuff, they were all about uh, homoeroticism, like uh, pushing boundaries with the church oh. as well and stuff like that. So everything, like I think Caligula, Caligula was, it was around about this. That was one. Trying to say, around about mm-hmm. the same time as well. So... I, I, when the swinging 60s did come out uh, I know I did do an Austin Powers reference there sorry uh, <laughs> but it, it is quite an interesting pick so really good, good, pick. good head yeah. scratcher mine's not going to go that deep I'll be honest with you but still no I admit mine not either <laughs> <laughs> well done though Kelly great oh research so we'll move on to the, the other sadist in the group we'll go to Grant <laughs> oh I thought you were going to say me there I was like oh <laughs> Well, based on what Kelly brought up and what Sammy was talking about there, we've already kind of segued into my first uh, movie in a very, very um, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon role. Kevin Bacon isn't in this film, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Sammy has uh, kind of inadvertently mentioned the writer of my first pick, and this isn't just what a cult movie to me. This is probably my favourite film of all time. it was written by the same person that directed uh, Once Upon a Time um, from 1993. Mm-hmm. It is possibly the most immaculately casted film to have ever graced the face of the earth. And that is true romance. Oh, man. Oh, it it come this this close to being on me top picks. It's, but it's, I one, yeah, it's one of my wife's favourite films as well. One of my favourites. Um, my bestest buddy Emma had the music mm-hmm. as she walked down the aisle and I cried my eyes out. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> this is a film. Me and Emma got talking about it the other day. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch the film recently and I know Danny Pillmore was like, Can you need to fucking watch it? What are you fucking doing? Like, Man, I'll watch it. And I did and I was like, oh, oh so cool. good. So, Grant, why why is this your number one pick then? And I know it's the obvious uh, question, but why does it mean so much to you? I know you said the casting was great, but yeah, um, what can I say? It's I first saw this film when I was about fourteen, fifteen year old. Um, it was put on Sky at some really, really obscure time, just as the hype around Tarantino was starting to get going. And obviously Tarantino had the association Mm -hmm. because he wrote it and he sold the script of this to fund Reservoir Dogs, Mm -hmm. if I remember rightly. Um, And obviously you switch it on. And aside from it being this 
wonderfully kind of semi-toxic Romeo and Juliet story um, mm -hmm. for those that haven't seen it. Basically, um, Christian Slater's character Clarence Worley um, gets bought a prostitute for his birthday um, mm -hmm. from his boss because he's a he's a lonely nerd. He works mm -hmm. in a comic book shop and he likes uh, kung fu movies and doesn't really associate with anybody. And after one night together, um, that him and uh, prostitute is played by um, Patricia Arquette. I nearly said Rosanna Rocket there. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> that, that would have been an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. And they embark on something that's kind of halfway between Romeo and Juliet and Bonnie and Clyde. Um, as they, uh, they, the love for each other grows stronger and stronger and stronger. But, you know, you, you're watching it at the time and, you know, you've got Christian Slater, who was big mm -hmm. at the time. And you think, yeah. oh, okay. And then Arquette pops up. And I wasn't massively familiar with her stuff, but she's mm. beautiful and she's a very, very quirky character. Mm -hmm. And then the genius levels of the casting <sighs> kick in yeah. mm -hmm. and somebody pops up and you go, is that? Mm -hmm. And then somebody else pops up and you go, is that? And so on and so on and so forth. I don't really know how much depth to go into with this go, in relation go to the, uh, the casting. <laughs> go into I mean, it because the, the <clears throat> best, the best, Smallest and tiniest role has the best lines say. is Brad Pitt. Hundred oh, no. percent is Brad Pitt when he that <laughs> when he's on the couch and he's there. Uh, oh, what does he say, man? <laughs> so one of the best comebacks ever, and I can't remember it. <laughs> Who did you think I was going to say? For me, it's Gary Oldman. Yes. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. To me, it is Gary Oldman's best role because as much of a comedian. Uh, as Gary Oldman is, you know, he is pretty much kind mm. of the god of nerddom. He's been in yes. nearly every franchise. Orphanized himself in such an amazing way, but even by Gary Oldman's standards, Drexel is not only an amazing character, but Oldman plays him absolutely perfectly. Um, I can't think of... It's weird to say, like, you would never think of Gary Oldman playing that role, but now that he's mm. played it, you can't think of anybody on the mm. planet that no. could have even got close to him. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the one bit of the film that always absolutely stands with me as a, an extremely poignant and... Ext actually, there's two bits. Um, poignant and um, emotional scenes is the scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis <laughs> Hopper in the camper van. Uh, I get where goosebumps Walken, thinking of that. Yeah, and that the monologue that he mm -hmm. launches into about um, the genetics of Italy yeah. and who invaded and that kind of stuff and the way that that all comes round. Um, and then the scene with Alabama with... Um, oh, oh, I can't um, remember his name. The guy from oh, The Sopranos. Yeah, oh, God. Mm. Oh, Tony Soprano, man, what's his name? Oh. Michael, Michael Galbert. No. Galbafini, is it? Galbafini, I think it is. James Gandolfini. Yeah. I can't pronounce um, it, yeah. James Gandolfini, <laughs> that's it. Oh. That scene where he's kicking the crap out of her in the hotel mm -hmm. room and then it, it switches and the sheer... It, it, it's not even just violence out of her because there's so much sadness coming out of Arquette as she finishes off that scene after everything that's happened to her. It just... It's that scream. It doesn't put a lump in my throat. It's just, it is, it's that scream as she, mm -hmm. she that brings that uh -huh. down. Mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. It's 
yeah, um, like I say, it ticks every box for me from a casting perspective. It is an absolute emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. from start to finish. Um, it's it's quite interesting as well. I'm not going to go off on one too much about this bit, but um, like I say, you mentioned uh, Emma before walking down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my wife walked down the aisle to um, Broken Birds by oh. um, Charles and Eddie. Mm-hmm. And then we had, we signed it and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But one of the cool presents that she got me is she's got me, it's a, like a third generation copy of the original script for True Romance. Oh, and wow. This, it's pretty much true to life what Tarantino wrote, except for some um, some deleted scenes in relation to the mob mm-hmm. and the, the mob characters and how they're chasing them. But it, it's quite good to see that there wasn't much done from what Tarantino put on paper to what Tony Scott um Mm -hmm. you know rest in power Tony because he was an amazing director as well it was a fucking shame to lose him um you know from what Tarantino did to what Scott put on the screen was Mm -hmm. almost unchanged and that you know, yeah. in, in te- you know, integrity and respect to the writer. And it's a yeah. testament to the dialogue because Tarantino knows how to write True, but dialogue. I, to say something, to be a bit controversial here, I don't think the film would have worked if Tarantino had directed it. I don't no. think his no. style would have worked as no, good. Because no. it, would have, it would have been just violence, yeah. messy, um, and so oh, forth. 100%, 100% agree. Um, I think Tony Scott got the, I don't know, it's just... It, it's just perfect. There's mm. very, it's very hard to pick apart anything bad about this film. Like I remember watching it quite young, and holy shit, did I want love like that? Like that's the kind of love I wanted, and I'm very yeah. grateful that I actually do have it. Um, but the look of Alabama, like I wanted to be Patricia Arquette so badly, and then she went on and did Stigmata, and like holy shit, that woman just became my idol, lover, brilliant choice, Grant. The soundtrack as well, one of the oh. best soundtracks on. Like, say, I, I don't know if it got mentioned in the ones it should have been, it which Look is it. a bit of that was, that, that's a miss, miss because, like, say, that's one of the things that does stand out when you when you're watching yeah. True Romance. You could even close your eyes and just enjoy, like, say, the, the music throughout it. I think Actually, you. I think uh, Emma might picked it. Hmm. It's so varied as well. Like hmm. I've got the soundtrack. I've got a, actually a stunning copy of the soundtrack. It's white um, blood splatter vinyl. <laughs> um, so it looks like the uh, the feathers from the yeah. hotel room scene. But you've got everything in there from 50s rock and roll to Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a lot of people kind of forget the fact that yeah. it shines playing in some quite major scenes and what have you. It's so beautifully varied. Yeah. Um, and also Tony Scott... Northern lad, he's from up here. Mm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, it's a great first. So we've got two interesting first picks, very different to very style, but also like say you can see why they are called classics as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to the young lady. Uh, that's the course. We'll go to Sam for her first pick. Right. I'm just trying to pick which one to go for. <laughs> oh, right. Always is organised. Just go. Always. Buddy got a always. week to sort this out. It's all right. <laughs> I'm going to go with one of my most minor, of a lot of horror. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I want to go with my first one because this is the definition of a cult classic. This absolutely bombed when it came out. It was set 
for greatness because of the writer who just come off the back of an Oscar win. Um, it has one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood in it. And it just bombed. But in the last 10, in, within a few years ago, it just blew up. Its 10 year anniversary was absolutely huge. It is the 2009 amazing, and I've loved it from day one, Jennifer's Body. Right. Absolutely banger of a film. I loved, I had <laughs> Megan Fox's uh, Jennifer on my wall because I love that woman. I still do love that woman so much. Um, and massive. But Diablo Cody was like literally riding high off the back of our Oscar from Juno. So she yes. was just given free reign to do anything. And she did this. And I do not understand how people don't like it. It has it was, some of the greatest and funniest dialogue that's ever been written. I dare say that was down to more the marketing campaign than the actual oh, film. Because as you said, the film is, I, I wouldn't say it's one of my favourite films, but it is well done. Mm-hmm. But it was purely, like the marketing behind it was purely based on uh, like Megan yeah. Fox's yeah. sexuality and her look. And it, like even the Blu-ray when it came out, it had, uh, like it wasn't flat, it had two bumps come out for a tip. Yeah, that's Which... a bit tasteless, but mm-hmm. the yeah. whole film is sexualizing yeah. Jennifer. So I kind of get it now, but I don't know what happened in the last few years leading up to the 10 year anniversary. There was just this boom of just love and appreciation for this film. It has um, a very young Chris Pratt in it mm-hmm. who gets killed, yeah. which is great. <laughs> you want to go and watch Chris Pratt die? Well, watch that film. Um, the band who um, sacrificed Jennifer um, and turned her into a demon is brilliant. It's the, it's mm-hmm. a band of the time. Like, mm-hmm. we all know that band. We probably all went to see that band live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Incredibly emo. <laughs> yeah. incredible, incredible guy liner. Like, I just... I love everything about it. It reminds me of another one of my picks that I have for later on because of the dialogue in it. Like this wasn't the way that we spoke to each other, but the way that we. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the stuff that um, Jennifer comes out with is just hilarious. Yeah. Um, I love this film so much. <laughs> but that, I think it was a bit of a mismatch. Like I say, it was like teenage. Uh, it was almost like a if, what happens if American Pie was crossed with uh, The Exorcist in certain mm-hmm. ways. Um, but I love the transformation of Jennifer throughout as well as going from like say the sex symbol but mm-hmm. getting more and more sinister and then like I say her best friend who's trying to like save her soul in, in, in certain aspects but trying to not get corrupted at the same time but then when she realises that her, like the, the lad that she's in love with is uh, getting entangled and it becomes like a proper bitch fest and bitch fight and stuff like that but there is some great action scenes mm. like the swimming pool scene is brilliantly <gasps> done as well so beautiful uh, isn't it but yeah I think with this one the only issue we had was that probably the marketing like I said mm. that's I think probably's hurt it because I think it was um, either around about the same time or when was it Trans to touch on Transformers, Transformers. Come out, come out, 2009 yeah, it came out so it was mm. Around that time, if the first one, the first one's probably out and the second one could have been on its way out. And it, she was already very sexualized all, already from them films. Yeah. But uh, no, a good pick. Like I say, I, I don't know if like, you guys have got anything to say in it, but I, like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, Again, it's not, it's not a film I would ever pick up and instantly go to, but if it's on, I wouldn't turn it off. She's the girl we always wanted to be. You know what yeah. I mean? Those passes, just like, oh my. 
God, exuding sexuality, give no shits. Mm-hmm. That was it, though. The, the only person who didn't give a shit about how they looked was her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She yeah. did not give two shits. When she looked great, she looked great. When she looked shitty, when she needed, you know, people to eat, she she rocked that look, too. She like, she, she didn't give a shit. The only, like, she was the only person who didn't care. The only little thing I have about this film is the end. Mm. And it's just Amanda Sedgefield going from, you know, needy who was, you know, a bit, bit wet to then go into like this badass and it just the transformation just I don't know it 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 it, it, it a little bit mm-hmm. that's the only thing when she she's all I know she's got the demon inside of it it transferred to her but it's just very icky how she's I don't know I just didn't like the end <laughs> maybe because I wanted Jennifer Check to win that yeah. might have been it <laughs> possibly there might be an alternative cut out there somewhere you never know <laughs> <laughs> so that's my first pick is Jennifer's body cool so i'm gonna uh, with my first pick um i've kind of give this one away with uh, the advertisement for this week's podcast uh like i say the picture i used was from a very famous uh halloween film shall we say that bombed big style because it didn't Aww. feature michael myers so my first pick and um, again i would definitely class this as a cult classic because it, it's become a lot bigger now than than it is now is halloween three season awesome. of the witch Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> told you. I told you. Um, yeah, mine too. So that's my second pick gone. <laughs> yes. But um, again, I, I love what they try to do with this film as well now more than what I did oh. then because the idea with Halloween, uh, after Halloween 2, there wasn't going to be any more Michael. It was yeah. just going to be like each year there was going to do a different Halloween story and it was going to be like a different fable. I don't know if they were all going to be in the licked in a way, but because how badly this film did, they shit themselves and cancelled the whole project and went back to Michael, which was such a shame because when you watch this film now, mm. even though it's got some weird stuff with Stonehenge, it's still a, yeah. a fucking, it's still a fucking scary film and the masks. Yeah. And they had some balls on this film as well because they killed the fucking kids. Not oh many... my god! That that's yeah. The scene within the with the television in the testing room yep. is one of the most horrifying scenes ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and again, this film was made in the year I was born as well in 1982. So. Cl- Classic 80 film. Uh, <laughs> just get yeah. that in there, Charlotte. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it just like say the acting is 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 great for a horror film. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I've got an actor's name. I'll try Tom, and find Tom it. Tom Akins. Tom Akins. Absolutely brilliant. Like, the beats, the terror in this film, and the idea of kids' masks killing kids. And I, some of the most just, iconically looking masks as well. Like, they are iconic to look at. And, yeah, when you try and get that as well, like, if you try and buy these masks, they are expensive. I mean, look how crazy we went over when we saw the masks in the trailer. It was the first <laughs> thing I noticed, and like the la- the last Halloween film, the first thing I noticed is the mask from Season of the Witch. Like mm-hmm. this film is one of the greatest horror movies. Take away the fact that it is technically within the Halloween franchise, it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. It really is. It has the most catchiest song that has ever been created in the world. Come on then. Happy, happy Halloween. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Halloween. Happy, happy <laughs> Halloween. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> I could not resist having a Silver Shamrock mouse mark because, again, this film is genius. 
Oh, and also, fun fact, it has um, the, oh gosh, I can't remember her name from the first one, but she plays Tom Aiken's wife in the third one, who is screaming down the phone. She is the the first victim in oh, Halloween. Right. That's, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yes, it was her. Um, but yeah, it's it's just so good. It, I couldn't not pick this film, sorry. <laughs> no, no I, I agree. That's like... Because when I look back at like the definitions of occult movies, there was a few that stuck out, and I thought, like, because a lot of them are horror films. Like, say when you mm-hmm. look back at them, what what they are. Look, I think the niche market is horror and sci-fi. Yeah. But um, when I when you think about it, there's nothing more cult than basically this film found its way, and it like I think when it came out on Netflix last year with mm-hmm. uh, the the new film thing. This one was one of the most watched out of all the other Halloween films. Mm-hmm. Like like Halloween one is a stone gold classic. Yeah. Not just a horror film, a classic movie. Mm-hmm. Where I think this is a classic horror B movie. Yeah. And done yes. in a way where it's just excellently done. And like say yeah. I, I love it. I, I, I'm just worried if we've lost Grant. Have you frozen there, Grant, as well? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw Romy playing, it's okay. Um I just what was I gonna say? I think do you know what's lovely about this film is that yeah, it panned in the first place because of what Paul said with the fact that you know it was going to be an anthology series. Mm. It's just lovely how the horror community has found has managed to find find it. And love it for what it actually is. Bring it back. Yeah. Like, and it really has. It's only been over the last few years that this film's just poof, like blew up because people are starting to realize you don't need, like, if you understand what the plan was of the Halloween franchise, then you understand why they did this film. And Tom Higgins yeah. is a horror icon. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't mind now because I know they're going to do Halloween Kills. Uh, it comes out uh, like, like I said, that's the next one. That's supposed yeah. to be going to be the end of the this part of the Halloween franchise. Go back to that story. Tell them where it's going to do, if they do a Halloween film each year. Tell us a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Give us yeah. give us a different like aspect. Give us something about witches. Give us something about uh, ghouls. Uh, doesn't just have to be about Michael. That yeah. uh, that can be quite interesting and it can open up just whole new audiences. And uh, like I say, there's so many different possibilities, especially now. Mm-hmm. I think, like I say, for me, that would be, like I say, a selling point. Yeah, anthology over the last few years has come massive with the help of American Horror Story. Yes. I know yes. it's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but it has opened up anthology to a lot of people. And everyone, I love an anthology series. I absolutely love it. Um, so this was when I, I don't even know how I found, this is like, it's just like, it felt like a hidden gem. When I finally found it, because I have no, I had no interest in watching any Halloween that didn't have Jamie Lee Curtis, and I was that much of a snob, so I didn't bother. I had them all on DVD, didn't bother watching them, and um, and then it just felt like a this hidden treasure that I found, and I've just I've loved it ever since. I watch it honestly about every couple of months. But 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 hands up. Like say when I first watched, because I like say I bought, got the Halloween box set when I was uh, younger, and I went through them. I sat there because I didn't know anything about Season mm-hmm. of the Witch. I sat there waiting for Michael to come in. Did anyone yeah. else do that when they first watched it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's that expectation, isn't it? You just think you know continuity and that. And, but to be honest, that what kind of and like captured me more was just like, well, where the fuck is he? We don't need him. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
Is he just going to walk past? You know? But then, but, but when <laughs> then you, you get the point where he's being tortured in the room and the video is on and it's got Halloween on. The movie. Yes, yes, it's on in the background. The thing is, though, Halloween is not Michael Myers. Do you know mm. how, like, Fred, like, Freddy has the Freddy in the title, Jason has Jason in the title. If you took them away, then yes, I could understand being pissed off, but Halloween doesn't have Michael Myers in the title. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, when I was read like, learning about Season of the Witch and, like, what the plan was of the Halloween franchise, it made sense. Yeah. yeah. It makes total sense because it's not Michael Myers. If it was Michael Myers as a movie title, totally mm-hmm. get you. I can totally get why you're pissed off for, but it's not. God, definitely, but like as Grant always tells us, multiverse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's my first pick. And, and, my second. and, and so so now back to the lovely Kelly. Hello! Right, <laughs> even though it's 1980, but it's just a bang in the air off. I just kind of think, well, it was made in the 70s and was released in 80, so... <laughs> so, directed by Mike Rhodes. And I think it needs a bit of a song. Is that... Save every one of us! <laughs> Hawkman! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think we've walked Paul up. (laughs) (laughs) One of my childhood favourites. Yeah. Oh, do you want to know something? I've never seen it. Oh. Fuck the fuck off. This is why I'm not allowed to take part in the live podcast, Sonny Con. This is why I've got a moderate But um Kelly Moon's got a good story. She's actually met uh, Brian Bressed. Oh, that is I'm so Absolutely. jealous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what about Kelly, take it away. Tell us all about this movie. <laughs> Space opera film. Mm-hmm on the comic strip so there you go you've got nerdism already in there it's based on a comic strip i love 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 the beginning mm-hmm. where it's just got fucking zoomy bits of the comic strip zooming in and then you've got fucking freddie mercury giving it the class fuck mint anyway so if you haven't watched this we have what about sports person flash gordon Mm-hmm. Allies with Dale, love interest, and Hans Zarkov, great scientist, <laughs> to save the world by uniting warring factions on planet Mongo to defeat Ming the Merciless, who wants to destroy Earth. What's not the like? You know what I mean? Let's, let's be honest, it hasn't aged well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> It's got some very stereotypical uh, aspects in that, again, in today's markets, but again, it was very of the time. The thing is, when I watched it, I didn't get it. A little bit like with Labyrinth, where I didn't notice David Bowie's massive cock. You know what I mean? Not looking for it. You clearly weren't looking at it then. (laughs) Not looking for it, don't see it. Cool following, obviously, for the fans of sci-fi and fantasy. Mm. And you've got as I say, when we say, like, you know, with cult films, the quotable elements. I mean, fucking Gordon's... Gordon's alive! 
<laughs> fucking mint, right? And then you've got like the influence. Um, I know Edgar Wright, his visual influence for Scott Pilgrim versus the world, all down to Flash Gordon. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? All right. Uh, and uh, and Martin's just pointed out in the yeah, and Martin's just pointed out in the chat as well. The the Ted movies had huge elements <laughs> of Flash Gordon in as well, uh, ah! which, which was taking the piss totally out of it, but done brilliantly well. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? There's, I remember watching this as a kid. I always used to have to fast forward the bit when that hot man had to have his hand chopped off. Didn't enjoy I... that. That upset me. You know when he put it in the, he's the tree oh. planet. Tree planet. Yeah. He puts his hand in. He's like, see me. It was very, it was very Dune in that point where put your hand in the box to to, to show that you're worthy type thing. Yeah, uh, that, some... that that freaked me out as a kid. Good people now. You've got there. Uh, was it um, Timothy Dalton? Tim- yep, as as a as a space Robin Hood. Class, love that. <laughs> uh, you've got Richard O'Brien kicking yeah. about there, which yep. is always looking good. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Oh yes, he's one of the tree people. Uh, <laughs> and the soundtrack is just yeah, phenomenal. When, when they're going into space and everyone's like, uh, and it's just like it's just it's all fucking Queen. And I'm sorry, Queen's fucking mint. To be fair, though, it, it is definitely a cult classic when the when the music soundtrack does better than the movie when it comes out. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. One of the bits, though, right? One of the bits that just fucking decks the shit out of me is when he's in like Ming the Merciless's fucking massive room and all the pay- and he's he's playing American football with the eggs. Yeah. Like, that was hey, that, that was the most ridiculous thing yeah, in the world, but it worked so well. Go flesh, go. <laughs> doing this with the arms and that, and I'm like, what's this bitch doing? I love it. <laughs> and the best eye makeup in any movie ever. Oh, <laughs> oh fabulous costumes, fabulous, lovely, lovely. Lo- I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, one of my favourite bits is like near the beginning, actually. So when Ming the Merciless has got a weather machine and he presses the button, it's like acid rain. <laughs> presses the button, hurricane, and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but it, oh, who played Ming? Because it was the guy out. Of, it was in. He was in Star Wars as well, wasn't he? Uh, on the slip, he was um, he was in The Exorcist as well, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, Max von Sarden. Max, Max von Sarden was was me. Was he? I'm sure of it. Am I wrong? Please tell us if I'm wrong. Um, you know, what... come on, chat. Come on, catch up, catch up, catch up. <laughs> but um, I like I say, I think um, it had like obviously it's Star Warsy vibe to uh, it. Well, like... well, well, Star Wars was actually based on the comic. Of, yeah. of Flash, that that, that was elements that George Lucas Dave took from was the old um, 1930s, 1940s comic of uh, yes. of uh, Flash Gordon. Ah, uh, because I don't know if people thought they were going off the back of that. You no, know no, they... basically all most sci-fi, well, most uh, modern day sci-fi comes from Black Flash Gordon is the starting point. Yeah. We would if we didn't if we didn't have Flash Gordon, we wouldn't have what we have today. It, it's just class and, and, and do you know what if we're going to go deeper with the meaning of it he unites the unusual <laughs> to get that guy with the weird eyebrows it's, it is it's Max right I thought it was but I didn't because I haven't seen it I, I just remember the songs and just Hawkman die 
I, can't, I wish I had the voice of Brian Blessed. Uh, Kev- oh, who doesn't? <laughs> but yes. Um, that, but- that's all I've got to be honest. Just go flash, go flash. Go. Excellent. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that good second pick. It's definitely two different t- tones there, Kelly. So you're definitely taking it up a notch. So so Grant, how are you going to beat Flash Gordon? <laughs> right. Well, I'm going right off the deep end now. <laughs> Um, you know, settle in everyone of a, a cult movie and what have you. Um, this is possibly one of the best cult comedies that I've ever seen. Um, whether it's cult enough now for anybody to have heard of it yet is I don't know. It's a Belgian movie from 2015 mm-hmm. uh, called The Brand New Testament. Right, not heard of it. Anybody mm-hmm. seen it? No. Okay. no. I'll give you. I'll give you the first ten minutes. So the tagline for the movie is God exists and he lives in Belgium. And what it chronicles is, I mean, that's the start of it. God exists and he lives in a flat in Belgium with his wife and his daughter. And God is a prick. (laughs) And I'm not just talking a little bit of a prick in this, although it is a comedy One of the abuse scenes in the early part of the film that establishes how much of a prick God is, is as difficult to watch as a Serbian film or Human Centipede in the way that it's filmed and the way that it is put across. He beats the living crap out of his daughter on a daily basis. He's a sadist and he created the world. It's basically him as one of these horrific people that plays, I say horrific people, everybody's done it. The guys that play the Sims and put everybody in the swimming pool and take the thing out and let them drown. That's what earth is to him. Mm. Um, and his daughter, Ia, becomes sick of the fact that God is this almighty clusterfuck of a human being. So with the help of Jesus, who snuck back into the flat after he was crucified and he's like a borrower, he's like this big, um, she plots her escape. And so what she does is she goes into God's office where he controls the universe via his PC, hits a button and locks the screen so he can't get in. Then she escapes through the washing machine to the world. And what she's done with the computer is she has text messaged every single human being on Earth the exact time and date that they are going to die. Mm -hmm. And without consequence, humans no longer have faith. And without faith... God ceases to exist. So reality as a whole starts to collapse around Mm -hmm. the world. All the while, Ia goes off and does a little thing. She wants to write a New Testament. So she goes and she tries to find herself disciples. And you get these six little... Some of them are meaningful. Some of them are comedic. Some of them are tragic. Um, The little stories of the six people that she meets while she is basically getting a disciples. You get the little backstory for each and every single one of them. Should I go full spoilers here? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm go on. for it. I'm really, okay. I'm, like, I'm loving this. <laughs> so we get the, um, the, the little, you know, storylines and what have you. And what happens during all of this is God becomes extremely angry at the fact that he can't control the universe anymore. So he escapes the flat as well. The flat, basically, if you go to the back of the washing machine and crawl down, then you can crawl down into the world. Um, So God appears on earth and because everybody has lost faith and because he's bred such contempt and anger and humanity for his own amusement, 
he appears on Earth as this scruffy, disheveled old man, and nobody shows him any empathy, nobody shows him any sympathy, nobody shows him any love, um, which only furthers God's anger. And he basically kind of he he doesn't get his comeuppance, so to speak. Obviously, if they then went and killed God, that would be all a little bit maybe too much for some of the um, the more Christian amongst the world. Although it's not like that hasn't been done in a movie before. Um, but it's just a it's a beautiful piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really is. It tells a truly unique and original story based around theology and based around what mankind has made religion for themselves in the actions that start the movie um, it shows what is wrong with mankind's faith when they put too much faith in religion because the moment that they realize there is no consequence everything starts to collapse and I'm going to stop there because there's still quite a bit of the movie to go after that Um, but when I first saw this film, it absolutely blew my socks off. Um, and that's not just because a woman has sex with a silverback gorilla in it. Minor <laughs> spoiler, no context. That happens. And you will laugh your fucking ass off when she does. You know, it, it, you know, it's not a, it's not the love scene from Top Gun. <laughs> but it's, take my it's breath not away. <laughs> yeah. That will take your breath away. <laughs> like I said, it's got all these different elements. Obviously, a, you know, a, a chick banging a gorilla. Um, you know, it's not done in abusive way. It's that's one of the comedic um, elements to it. But right. likewise, I said, you know, within the first five minutes, that scene where he decides to discipline his daughter and you establish mm-hmm. how evil God can mm-hmm. actually be. It, mm-hmm. It's another one that pulls every emotion out of you when you're watching it. What's um, it called again, Grant? Uh, the Brand New Testament. The Brand New Testament. I'm so when I said me and Grant might have similar picks, I was totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and when I said me and you would have similar picks, I was right. There's only just been one. Didn't I get you? you well, that's, a bunch, that's weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Very interesting one. I really want to watch it. I really want to watch it. It was shortlisted for um, the 2016 Oscar for Best Foreign Film, but it didn't make the cut. Um, mm. And as a result of it not making the cut, um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, but it was still at a time before a lot of the streaming services mm-hmm. were establishing themselves and giving yeah. us mm-hmm. really, really good access to foreign mm-hmm. films. You know what I mean? Obviously, we had our surges of, you know, Japanese horror. Yeah, um, and there was a surge in German thrillers in the uh, the sort of mid two thousands. But other than yeah. that, there was never really been, you know, the, the access to foreign um, cinema that we have now to give mm-hmm. us stuff like um, their Squid Games and yeah. you know yeah. stuff from yeah. all over the, the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, Italian horror is some of the best horror ever made, and the most difficult to get a hold of. Dario Argento is God. Oh, Dario Argento is God. <laughs> you can always get a, your hand on it, though, if you've got the internet and means, but yes. <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to up north. Yeah, I'm myself but, to that life, but it sounds amazing. It does. Mm-hmm. He's like, did. He yeah, very but, much sold that film. Like, but in, me and Kelly were gripped. <laughs> but it's interesting what you say, though, because, like, as you said, like Italian horror, like I think in the early, late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. was 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 the big things, and it moved oh, to sp- Spanish. Mm-hmm. So with the Spanish horror, that's where, like I said, quite went in, like as far. But it's it's great when you get all these like different times. I know, um, like I say, especially in lockdown, there was a lot of, uh, like I say, Eastern European movies that came yeah. out that were 
not like a far superior to what there was a I forgot what it's called now it was a blood red with a, a vampire on a plane uh, oh where, yes uh, where she was basically looking after her daughter and she was trying to like not not to kill where they got took over by hostages mm-hmm. and she was basically spending the time trying not to infect people but it was just such an interesting take but like see yeah, I think as, as Grant said there's a lot of like say uh foreign movies that, that's coming out now that are doing interesting takes but that one yeah. sounds like a little bit up there really does like it it sounds very um mm-hmm. thought-provoking but mm-hmm. in like a good way certainly yeah so yeah cool so sam's mr second pick because they will have the same one so i'll move on to this one again you'll be surprised it's another 80s film uh, what <laughs> you 80s <laughs> but what might surprise you this is my last 80s pick bloody hell i know i do think this one is the definition of a cult cult classic <laughs> i've got in... a feeling we've got the same one <laughs> so i'll do a little speech for you as well because i love this speech it, like say i cried when i first read it because it was just beautiful um i've seen things you people wouldn't believe Attack ships on the fire, uh, on fire, on off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near Tornasso Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Oh no, it's not on my pink, but oh my god, Blade Runner. Yep. And with so many different versions of this movie as well, I think last time I counted there was five or six different cuts. I could be wrong because there is that many. Not it's there's been that from the cinema release mm-hmm. to how many to like the 4K, mm-hmm. there's that many different versions of this movie. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I first watched this film, it absolutely blew me away of <clears throat> just how epic it was. And again, 1982, this came out. I don't think it did that well because, like I said, I know the director. Um, can't get the words out now. It's one of them things. It's mm-hmm. going to be one of them days. Wasn't that happy with it? Um, Ridley Scott, who who directed the movie, that's why there's been there's been uh, that many directors cuts. Has been um, like I, my uh, was my one I preferred was I think was the VHS cut where they put the voiceover in, so it had like the very film noir outlook yeah. and like uh, had Harrison. Vo- Forwards voiceover, but I don't think that wasn't the cinema release, and I don't think that was what you can get on DVD now. Um, but honestly, from start to finish, like, say, if you look at the cast as well, like, oh, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Rudger Hadda, um, Daryl Hannah, mm-hmm. um, absolutely, and it's just so well done as well. And I love the whole how they find out the replicants, where they're sitting there and they ask the questions. And like they're just simple questions, and then from their reactions, and like you can tell if they're human or not. And like Daryl Hannah in this movie is absolutely beautiful. Like Daryl Hannah in in life is beautiful. Oh Oh, god, I agree. In this movie, stunning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there's not a bad aspect to the movie. Like, and I love the end as well, where. Asked the question: Is is he a replicant or or not? Um, that that's what I I always loved. Um, I always like to think. I know they brought out the sequel, which wasn't that bad. It just looked it looks better than it actually the story was. 
in my views. Um, but this one, I, I can't fault it. I, I, and this, to me, is the definition of a cult classic. Yeah. Um, did Ridley Scott do the second one? I don't know. I think so, yeah. I, I think he produced it. I'm not sure if he directed it or not. I, yeah, I'm, I remember seeing his name on it. Mm-hmm. I... Do you know, not, the Scots are not just Northern lads. They're from County Durham. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, especially <laughs> with... The... <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Yes, Sorry. we are pick <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just often wonder that, you know, the Northeast is very known for its um, state, like the, the industry, yeah. industries that we've like worked in, like mines and the ships and stuff like that. Their films, not so much Tony, but definitely Ridley, has a lot of that element in there, whether mm-hmm. it just be scenery, colours. Does that make sense? Or am mm-hmm. I just talking a lot of shit? Oh, no. Like, say, even now, like, the special effects, like, a lot of it was practical, and I love looking, watching the, the making mm-hmm. of Blade Runner as well, because the way they've done the practical effects, they made, uh, like, the future look dirty, gritty, uh, and but also futuristic, which a lot of films at that time couldn't get the right balance yeah because they, they kind of knew where the world was going with pollution and overpopulation and and so so on mm-hmm. but um yeah like I, but i love the whole gumshoe like i'm i'm a sucker for anyone that does like film noir or has like mm-hmm. the old like dick tracy style uh like see kappa we're gonna get you see but um it was kind of like that aspect of done in the future but <laughs> sorry goodwill's just put something in the chat that's made us tickled <laughs> He says Northeast produced Jimmy Nail, and frankly, that's the gift to the world as it is. <laughs> and, uh, oh dear. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love you, Goodwill. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, that's fine. But there's proper heartbreaking moments in this as well. Um, like I said, that speech, what Rugger Harder thinks, he's meant to be the bad guy, but then mm-hmm. you see why he's doing it. He, he just wants to live. But, uh, and like I said, he, when Daryl Hannah's with the toy mate, that guy that's making all the little robots and stuff, and should she doesn't understand that she's been too rough with them and she plays and she, she, she kills him by, by accident. Um, but I say, and like Rachel, um, I know the actress who played played her afterwards uh, dropped out of Hollywood. Um, I think she had a few issues after this movie because she thought she was going to be bigger than what she was. But mm. looks absolutely stunning in that performance as Rachel is just out there amazing. I don't know, like I say, I know... Kelly and Grant's a little bit quiet. <laughs> just uh, no, basking, basking in your, mm. your your narrative. Uh, I watched this years and years ago. It's one of those VHS that were on the shelf, and I was like, I'm just going to watch everything. So mm. I haven't watched it with like kind of mature eyes. Yeah, same here. But mm-hmm. I could remember, as you say, the gritty scenery because I find a lot of futuristic shit is very idealistic mm-hmm. and, and lucky, and but it, it just. Yeah, the future's fucking bleak as shit. But <laughs> <laughs> 80s um, film to, to, you know, kind of encapsulate that is, is very fucking rare. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as I, mm-hmm. I, I remember most futuristic films being quite kind of clean cut and mm-hmm. ideally. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I need to revisit that definitely. Back Me too, head. but I didn't realise there's so many versions. So which one should we be watching? <laughs> Depends. I know they brought like I think it was a few years years ago they brought out its tin with like every single version on disc because like say there was the cinema release, mm-hmm. there was the director's cut, then there was the redirector's cut, then there was the the home movie release, and then there was the, when they brought the route a Blu-ray out there was another cut of it as well. But like say if I, if you again I could be wrong, but 
do a Google search how many copies of Blue of, of Blade Runners because it's one of them films where Ridley Scott has never been happy with, so he's always been tinkering to get the perfect film. Isn't that yeah. brilliant though that you have that capability to do that? That you shot so much because you had such a, a vast idea of something, and then later on you can just go, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to make some changes. Like I don't. Oh, I think that's. I think that's brilliant. I have a lot of time for the Scott brothers, especially the fact not only that they're from here, um, mm-hmm. just the the way that like this, the way that I, I love colors in films and I love scenery, and they just they've always done it so perfectly, always. Cool. Certainly. So that's my second pick. Um, so we're back to the lovely Kelly for number three. Number three. All right. So this is my eighties pick. Um, so this is. 1989, directed by Michael Verman. And yet again, <laughs> I'm going to start with another little song. And it's the opening song. When I was just a little girl, I think I, it's mine. I, what <laughs> would I be? Fuck Heathers. Heathers is mine too. God damn it! <laughs> Pain Black Comedy, the yes. best. Is. And what I love about this, which might uh, wind Paul up the wrong way, it gives a kick to the face to those idealistic 1980s high school things. It's satirical. It's Beautiful. not It's satirical no. because it's fucking awful. Yeah. It's absolute. Teenage life is fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And this sums it up. A clique of 14 girls, three Heathers, one Veronica, live in... <laughs> Uh, Ohio, mm-hmm. and a total misanthropic hottie, Christy Slater, mm-hmm. kills popular students staging their deaths as suicide. What an absolute blinder of a film. Um, made Danny Winona Pro- Ryder. Winona Ryder uh, was made in this film. Made. Absolute shame. Um, oh, Shannon Doherty's in it, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She was 17 yeah. when she was film. Mm. She was 17. Uh, Daniel Waters wrote this to contrast to the optimistic teen films of the 80s, and I th- thought it was fucking mint. The, I, I enjoyed The Breakfast Club, but this was my go to. This was yeah. my. The, the, the dialogue in this reminds me so much, and this is what I was talking about earlier, reminds How- me so much of Jennifer's body. <laughs> yeah. the, the way that they talk in Heather's mm. is the way that she talks in Jennifer's body, and it's the way that we never talked. But wanted to be able to. Yeah. Fuck me chainsaw. Fuck me with a chainsaw. Get in. (laughs) This this was going to be in my top five, but there was a choice between this and the one I picked to go last Mm. because it's got a kind of similar beat to it. Yeah. And I thought the one I picked is fitting to what we do now. So, but um, like I say, we'll talk about that a little bit. But Heather's was such a bleak, realistic. Because that's how cliques and people did act in school and push people around. Mm-hmm. And it's just basically going to the ends of what you what you can be pushed to do. Yeah, and, yeah. And I know they tried to remake it. This is a TV show uh, last yeah. year. It's also and a musical the, as well. Yeah, it's the, a musical. It was mm-hmm. going to be remade into a TV show. Why did they stop it? The stop pandemic it. happened. The pandemic yeah. happened. So they're doing the pilot. So that you can st- you can watch the pilot online. It, there is there. It's very strange. It's nothing like Heather's what we know of. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much of the Heather's of the um, social media t- uh, type type mm-hmm. thing. But um, I wouldn't have 
got obsessed with it. But yeah. as I said, this with me being a bit of a a loner kid at school because I, like I said I didn't fit in where most most places I, I, I hung about with. I kind of related to this and the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast mm-hmm. Club yeah. was what what I wanted to to be, but Heather's yeah. was kind of like what life was. Yeah, to- totally get that. I am very much a Veronica. I never fitted in with any of, you know, the girls in my school. I was friends with them, but we were never the same person. And that is just so Veronica in this film. Like she was friends with all the popular girls, but she really wasn't one of them. Um, And I relate so much to that character. The... Obviously, not the murdering part. <laughs> Otherwise, or, or am dead. I? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't it's hear from Paul for a while, just uh, you know why. <laughs> I'll give someone a sample of my handwriting as well, so Sam can't get that mister uh, <laughs> Oh, this is this had to be one of my picks. It is the definition of a cult classic. Oh. Heather's I'm, is up there. Martha Dump Truck. Martha I'm, Dump Truck. <laughs> way through right who a little fucker uh it's just this cynical teen life where suicide gives the already popular teens a worshipped and idolized status that they yeah. do not have no They're all rapid fucking just cretins yes and but because they commit suicide they become almost ethereal mm-hmm. like, i love my dead gay son it's just like <laughs> yeah that fucking like you know, he has not any depth. You know, he's, he's just a horrible, horny jock. You know what I mean? And, and it's it's awful because then you've got, like, some people who are actually drawn to commit suicide and then they're ridiculed for trying to, like, the popular ones. And it's like, no, they want to wear out. Mm. But to be and fair, then, though, with Heather's that, as well, Heather's been as, as so well done. Like, say, we wouldn't get films like Mean Girls. If it wasn't for Heather's, um, absolutely. Also, if, if anyone's a, a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race as well, oh, um, yes. there, there was, I forgot what season of what was season, it's season gin, six with it's Ginger Minj, Ginger Minj and Raja. No, not Ginger Minj. It no, was, it's season six with um, Gia Gunn and Adora uh, Adora Delano, and they do. No, it's you think they do the. Oh, I'm thinking of the screen. Can I finish one. what I'm saying? <laughs> No, um, I'm thinking of the scream one. Sorry. No, no, it's it's not. They called themselves the Heathers. That was the. the oh, group that called. was season two. That that yeah. was Raja and. Um, and yeah, Carmen <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant the challenge no, because no, they did no, a lot of dialogue all. from the Heathers mm-hmm. in the scream challenge mm-hmm. with the uh, "fuck me with a Delorean." Yeah, no, no, it was basically the group that they called themselves because that's what they used to bully the other contestants. The buggers. The buggers. The boogers. They're called. <laughs> yeah it was Raja and um it was oh god that was like season three mm-hmm. it was early ones but yeah mm. I remember that because even the reference points were still like going through uh and being used mm-hmm. cool but you've but got yes. that lovely symbol in the film of the red scrunchie mm-hmm. <laughs> red scrunchie mm-hmm. which gets passed on to Heather Duke and then at the end you know there's a new sheriff in town where she's just covered in fucking soot because she's just like her boyfriend blow himself up and she'll let a tab on the fucking flames. She goes up to Martha and goes, oh, we got the mind. It's prom night. Let's watch some movies and pop some popcorn. Class. But, uh, it was the first time I was introduced to croquet as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you've got fucking Christian Slater trying to be Jack fucking Nicholson. Great. 
when is he now? When is, when is he not being Jack Nicholson? I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my my mm. mimicry here. <laughs> Why would you play a crochet? I don't get it. That's I never got that in that film. Like it's the most boringest game ever. <laughs> It was a very British, like it's a very British, like mm. of a class thing. But yeah. uh, in in Midwestern yeah. America, it was like very not in the same place it should have been. But yeah. it kind of worked with that group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was something that they had that was theirs, and it, if anyone tried to play it, they would look ridiculous. Yeah, you know what I mean, because they were, they could do whatever mm. they want. So, but mm-hmm. no, I love that film. Like mm-hmm. it, it's just. I remember watching it as a kid and just thinking, oh, my word, that, that's ace. Mm. ace. Very yeah. it, was a quid- it was a quintessential 80s, though, as well. <laughs> Very much so. Very brightly coloured. It was Sharon Doherty, the one who wasn't a Heather to start <laughs> with, but then became one at the death of someone else, didn't she? That was yeah. her. Because mm-hmm. in my head, I can see Alyssa Milano for some reason. She was the green Heather. Because uh, everyone was the colour of the uh, croquet ball. So you've got Heather Duke, who fed, Heather McNamara, who um, had sex with one of the jocks who killed themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she was devastated. Um, so she kind of just went out the ether and then Heather Duke took the crown. She went into um, Heather Duke's play and opened it and he mm-hmm. gave her she, as if to say, a right. And she does the whole, uh, the poll, the class poll. Of mm-hmm. like, days it's like I'm gonna die for the pep rally. I have, I, I have decided to die. And- mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, marvelous, marvelous. Yes, very good pick though. So we'll move on <laughs> to, uh, to Grant. So how are you going to top Heather's now, Grant? Are we, are we going to get some psychological warfare now? <laughs> <laughs> With my next pick, I'm going to who I believe is the king of cult directors by an absolute country mile, um, especially for his work in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, It's a movie from 1983 um, that set an amazing standard for visual special effects, um, very much concentrated on the first technology revolution um, Mm -hmm. that we had in the early 80s when, you know, the electronics were starting to get smaller and, you know, colour TVs had become very, very widely distributed. And all that kind of stuff. The film I'm talking about is 1983 David Cronenberg movie <laughs> Videodrome. Yes! Wow. I still don't um, understand this movie. <laughs> I don't think we're meant to. <laughs> you know, I don't think Cronenberg's ever made a movie that you're supposed to understand. I think the only guy that goes above him for head fuck is David Lynch. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, I think David Lynch is just making it up as he goes along. He literally turns up the set pissed one day and he's like, let's film this. I've got this broken. Just put him over there. Um, Blondie's in this, isn't she? This is the one yeah, Blondie. She is at the point at which Debbie Harry was regarded as the most stunning woman on the planet. Mm-hmm. She gets cigarettes put out on her. She gets whipped. She's this completely frenzied over-sexual um, being slapper, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that word. Uh, no. <laughs> no, Describe no, Derry, no. Debbie Harry. <laughs> a character in the movie, um, most definitely she is, has everybody seen it? It's been a yeah, long, yeah, long, yeah, I've watched long time. I've, I've, done, I've one of them films where I've watched it, didn't understand it, didn't know if I liked it. Thought James, um, what's it? What's it called? 
Uh, James Wood was brilliant, but I don't know why he was brilliant. But I just, <laughs> it's been absolutely like watching going, this is so weird. I'm scared. I'm, am I meant to be turned on? Maybe a little bit, but I don't know. <laughs> I think you are meant to be turned on, mate. For anybody that's watching or listening or whatever it might be that hasn't seen it, um, set in the early 80s, basically, uh, James Woods uh, works at a TV um, company mm-hmm. where they intercept a, what was called a UHF um, video broadcast. It was basically kind of pirate TV, if you will, and it's snuff films. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly tra- are very sexualized snuff films, might I add. We're not talking just people getting murdered. It's kind of an extreme BDSM mm-hmm. um, narrative that they have going on. And in trying to um, work out where this is coming from and whether they can broadcast it or not, um, weird stuff starts to happen. And basically mm. how it ends up panning out is that the TV signal itself is kind of psychoactive and has a slight sort of, um, it suggests that it mutates people as well. Um, mm. For anybody that's watching that's of the younger generation, you've probably gone through the Cronenberg reference without realising it in Rick and Morty. Yes. Um, where <laughs> he goes and uh, it's the one where he fucks up with the flu virus and turns everybody into praying mantises. Brad's horse is awake. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Um, So the the reason that that reference is that reference is because of these Cronenberg movies in the early 80s where there was a severe level of mutation in the Mm. special effects. Um, a you know, very, very memorable scene where James Wood's sitting there in, in his couch watching the TV, watching the broadcast, and all of a sudden Debbie Harry appears on the screen in front of him, um, and he starts trying to crawl into his TV set um, in order to get to her because reality is breaking down around him. Um, visually stunning. Mm-hmm. Um screenwriting wise as Paul said you know it screws with your head a lot you know Mm -hmm. there is definitely a chance that after the first or second or ninth or tenth time you've watched Mm -hmm. this film you still won't have a fucking clue what is going on (laughs) but so much of the imagery epitomized what Mm -hmm. everybody was trying to do in the early 80s pushing the boundaries yeah Uh, much the same as we got with uh, Kelly with a um, Valley of the Dolls it was Mm -hmm. at a time you know the video nasties and all of that kind of stuff, especially in the horror genres and the sci-fi genres. Everybody just wanted to make something that was a little bit more fucked up looking than the last one. And Mm. Cronenberg achieved this spectacularly, the point where the imagery is still getting quoted in Mm. kids, not kids cartoons, but, you know, cartoons Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 40 years later, nearly, um, Mm. with Rick and Morty just thrown out there, the Cronenbergs, Morty, I've created a load of Cronenbergs. And a lot of people don't know what it means. This movie is what that episode means. I think I took the piss in Family Guy at some point as well. Um, Quite, I, yeah. I, this is going to sound so wrong. Um, it was one of them movies I watched because I, I think like Channel 4 used to do like, like really horror films or 
uh, like I say, the exploitation movies on, like I say, a Saturday or Friday night after midnight. So I was kind of staying up watching them just to try and like, get a little bit of a, get me kicks out of the way some, somehow. Get some and, boob. Uh, get a little bit of boob um, and hopefully, but watching that and going, oh, this looks like it's going to be have, have a bit of kinky enough in it. Then when he starts putting his hand inside his own chest, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted boob, not this. <laughs> like, this is the hottest one I've ever had in my life. <laughs> oh my God. The most confused one you've ever had in your life. <laughs> Why is this happening to us? But uh, like as you said, Grant with Debbie Harry being in it, she was absolutely stunning. But didn't it, um, I, I, I might be getting mixed up. I'm thinking society as well, where like the, the, was there an orgy where they all stopped melding into each other? Society. That was society, wasn't it? Oh, I, um, yes. I always and get then- the, them two aspects kind of melded into one, but it's just it stuck with us. That that's the best way I can describe. And I'll till the day I die, I'll never forget this film. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I think that is a good thing. I think because you can still you can still question it, mm-hmm. and you can go back and watch it again and go, I get that bit. I still don't get this bit, but I get you know what I mean. You can go through that film for the rest of your life and in try and pick the, the pieces of it. I mm-hmm. think that's brilliant film work. Mm-hmm. That's why I and love the, Tusk for because mm-hmm. it makes the you ending think. line as well. That you know gets quoted all the way through, but just the the camera going in on James Woods as he's uh, as the monologue. Is going mm. when he's got the gun to a hand and he just stares down the camera and goes, "Hail to the new flesh," yeah. and blows his own brains out. It's it, it it's what it, it's a very very iconic moment in cinema for me. That ending scene, it's beautiful cinematography, mm-hmm. beautiful special effects, absolutely chills you to the bone. And for the hour and a half that preceded it, you have no fucking idea what happened. Mm. <laughs> I feel like Kelly's looking around for noise when it's Grant that has noise in the background. Like, I've just yeah. seen her look around and all oh, it's Grant's dog shaking its ears. We're, we're, we're yeah. babysitting a staffy at the minute, Marvel. Right. He's kicking off downstairs and I can hear <laughs> But obviously you can hear Grant. Like I, I, I thought you were um, reacting to Grant's background. I've got a 10 stone dog less than three feet away from me that's decided I'm going to itch my face. That's, not a, that's not a dog. You own a horse. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's just going back to sleep now. Oh, bless <laughs> that. Oh, yeah. So great pick. Like I said, again, mm. I, I thought that one would have been coming up. There was no way I was going to fucking pick it. But... <laughs> Because <laughs> then you have to explain the strange wank or <laughs> oh, no, I've, got, I've, got, I've got no fear of that. I've got no fear of that. In fairness, for the last three days, I've been juggling that scanners and naked lunch, all Cronenberg oh, movies, going, which one do I want? Which one do I want? Which one do I want? Um, yeah, one. I would say that one's more the cult classic than over the than the others, and I think he's just a cult classic director, as you put. Um, very eclectic. I don't think he'll have. Well, he's got his own fan base, but I don't think he'll mm-hmm. ever hit. Like, like he'll, he'll not. He'll never get a job with Marvel, shall we say? <laughs> no, no. The MCU are not knocking on Cronenberg's door. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so bless poor Sam's had one of the picks taken up again, which always seems to happen. Bless you. Um, so I'll go with uh, my next pick. So it's it's me one one and only pick that kind of delves a little bit into the superhero realm. Um, it was for 2010. It 
the director was is probably one of the biggest directors in the world at the moment. He's just having hit after hit after hit. Um, he can't do any wrong, even though Disney tried to sack him. Um, mm-hmm. James Gunn. Mm-hmm. The cast in this is absolutely being Rian Wilson as the. Um, I've got trying to get his name right. The the, the crimson. Um, oh, I can't remember his name now, but uh, it's super. Uh, stars Elliot Page, uh, Liv Tyler, Kevin Bacon, Nathan Fillion as well. But it's basically this guy whose wife leaves him and he can't accept it. And he has a mental breakdown and decides that he's going to be a superhero. And he basically just walks up to people and just starts writing all these injustices that he sees. Like someone cuts in line in, in while he's waiting for something at the post office or the coffee queue. So he runs off in his car, gets his red crimson... Uh, uh, jumpsuit, which is his outfit, and just is and just walks up to him and smashes him dead in the face with a wrench, and you see it bloody and messy, and you see the people walking around saying, "What the fuck's going on?" And he's just running down the street, people chasing him because he's got this wrench in his hand. But he just basically, like, his catchphrase in it is great. It's like, "Shut up, crime!" And he has like uh, these hallucinations, but it's like basically Dwight from The Office, yeah, just going like mental. And uh, like Elliot Page, well, well, she was Ellen Page at the time, um, being the, the weirdest and most sexualized sidekick ever. She actually rapes him at one point. Um, See how? Yeah, like say because he's because she wants to have sex with him in the suit outfits. But he's still pining after his wife, and he's lying there, and she's like, "Oh, please, just just a little bit," to the point where she forces herself on him, and he's going, he's, he has to push her off, and uh, like I said, and she dies as well when because <laughs> Kevin Bacon is playing this big, uh, big drug lord, and he decides he's going to take on this drug lord to get his wife back, who his wife's left him for, and um, like I said, him and Ellen Page go after this drug lord's compound. And basically, the, the, the shooting at them were like uh, r- rifles. There's the firing grenade launches at them, and Ellen Page gets blown off. And you see him run over to her, see if she's okay. And you see her half a face just hanging there. It's gory. It's James. Like I said, it is James Gunn to the degree because it's nasty. It's it's unpol- unapologetic. Mm-hmm. But if you ever want like a fucked up superhero film, it is the best one I've ever seen. My sister can't understand how I have not seen this already. I give a slither. I have already, I have watched that, but I'm just looking at the cast. Like you, you, in a James Gunn film, you could, without looking, you know exactly who's going to be in it. Nathan yep. Fillion, Michael Rucker, Sean Gunn. Uh, like, but, Rob's, Rob Zombie is. Well, Rob, Zom- Rob Zombie is in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy as well. Um, he's, he's a very good friend of his, but to see Kevin Bacon in there, yeah, that's, Kevin Bacon's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and uh, Liv, T- Liv Tyler is, uh, like I say, the, his wife that leaves him. But when he like, tries to get her back, she's like, you're boring. That's why I left you. It's not <laughs> because no- it's, it's, I, was, I was not taken. Because all the film, they thought she was taken from him. So oh. that, was, that was his, like, in a monologue. And <laughs> he just, like, as I said, he just runs around in this make, like, made up uh, superhero for that's just god awful. Just smashing people in the face with this wrench. I love that. I love the fact that it's Rain Wilson too. Like, because yeah. Rain Wilson, if you've seen obviously Dwight in the office or even in House of a Thousand Corpses, um, he is not your typical mm-hmm. A-lister looking mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. 
but the guy is a fucking genius. Like, he is so good at what he does. But this film is, if I was going to describe a superhero film for Sam, that this would be the perfect superhero. Because <laughs> it's, it's kind of like got the office humour in it as well. Because mm-hmm. it's awkward. It's it's kind of like, as I said, it's got really disturbing images in. Like, say, mm-hmm. when, like, say, Ellen Page rapes, rapes him. It's not nice. It's uncomfortable. There's nothing sexualized about it at all. And it's it's like she's. I think she even uses the line. You can feel how wet I am and stuff like that. Like, hashtag Charlotte. Oh Swift. my gosh! <laughs> but um, and Grant's searching for the film as we speak now. <laughs> <laughs> Just that scene. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's an uncomfortable watch. Like it is very early James uh, James mm-hmm. Gunn. It's like um, round about the time he done stuff. It was two thousand and ten. He made this. Yeah. So the, it's it's the, kind of like a modern cult classic type thing. But isn't this the pinnacle of James Gunn before he goes into like Disney, like the Disney money? Because mm-hmm. if you if you look at Peacemaker, I see a lot of his mm-hmm. earlier stuff mixed in with Peacemaker, just done mm-hmm. a bit more tastefully. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I, this was one of the ones I did add in because um, I, I had another one in, but I, I, I wouldn't class it as my favorite one of my favorite cult films. It's one of my favorite films. I had a, a Nightmare Before Christmas in, mm. which I would class it as a cult classic. But oh, definitely. I, I think this one stands out more because of how not many people has has come to see it. And mm-hmm. I, I say when I watch it, it's fucking hilarious. It is just <laughs> absolutely one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And if you like, I, you can see the progression from James Gunn doing that and doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, sorry, not Guardians of the Galaxy, doing Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Like say. It's not that far removed, oh. just with a bigger budget. And um, like I say, but back then he was allowed to get, like there was never going to be like a superhero getting raped and stuff like that in, in this yeah. sidekick. But it's just such a good premise. Um, but yeah, um, super. And, and, so go and watch it, guys. I bet you it has one hell of a soundtrack as well, because that yes. man knows his music. You don't notice it as much for this one. Right. It, like I think it's like was one of like these independent like movies, so I don't didn't have as much. I, the budget probably was spent on the cast because yeah. if you look at the cast, you don't expect half the people. He must have called in some favors. They're all uh, his friends. Mm. They're all his best friends. I mean, apart from like Kevin Bacon and Liv Tyler, but Rob Zombie, Rain Wilson, um, Nathan Fillion, Rucker. I mean, Rucker is in yeah. everything he does. Mm. Um, but they're all these best friends. Rain Wilson, I can imagine, comes from Rob Zombie and the fact that James Gunn used to be married to Jenna Fisher, who mm-hmm. is Pam in The Office. Mm-hmm. So that could have been called in there, but I really need to watch this film. Michaela bangs on about it all the time. Definitely. But yeah, so that's my third pick. So we're, we're back to the lovely Kelly now. No. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm in the 90s now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm going down the horror route now. I swear to God, if this is another one of my picks, I'm going home. You already are home. home. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, okay. um, this is a 1991. One of the most, I believe, underrated but amazing Wes Craven films of all time. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a line out of it. You little bastard! I'm gonna kill you! I'm gonna kill you! <laughs> nice one. 
people under the stairs. Oh, Kelly, I, can't, I haven't got this one, but oh, this is one yes. of my favourite films of all time. I love this film so much. I know we've mentioned it in passing in a oh, yeah. episode, but it wasn't, like, epic. So mm. I was, needs to be fucking done. Needs to be done. So, horror comedy, totally. A young boy and two robbers trapped in a strange house owned by an even stranger couple. It's an understatement of the year, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I went comedy value, sorry. Uh, To be fair, though, I I could see Kelly living in that house under the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) She owns the house. (laughs) Oh, man, it's Amy Batteries Law. But it's on charge. You bastards. (laughs) We're nearly there. Right, so it was actually inspired by a 70s news story. Um, two robbers went into a house in L.A. Um, to, to go and, you know, robber, robber, and uh, found two children locked away. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> in the bed. Um, so, yeah, so that loosely, loosely, like, inspired by that. Um, as I say, it's my most favourite, yeah, I do believe, underrated Wes Craven film. Um, and I love the fact that it comments on, like, class warfare, capitalism and gentrification. Because it's all, it's all about the fucking getting the horrible, you know, the ghettos knocked down, replace it with, you know, houses for nice people. And then the capitalism, you know, you've got these robbers that need money to pay for the um, the treatment for the, for the mom, mm-hmm. you know. Because I know I love the beginning of the film where um, his sister's doing like tarot card reading for him. Basically, he comes out with scary shit, but his car comes out and it's full because they call him Fool. He's mm-hmm. the most endearing hero. I mean, he's 13 or something, and he's the most endearing hero. He's got some fucking nads, I tell you. Bloody hell, I wouldn't do what he did. Mm-hmm. He was brave. Um, but you've also got personal um, favorite character of mine, Roach. The boy who has shaped the cellar and lives in the walls. He's got no tongue because he was found trying to call out for help. And mm-hmm. what they do is they want the perfect child. And if they're not perfect, they cut the bad bits out. So mm-hmm. they cut his bad tongue. And now daddy goes hunting for him, wearing a gimp suit with a gun, shooting <laughs> the wall. Sorry, there's people screaming outside my window. Oh, are they in Gimson? That's what that's what I'm like looking at. I can hear it. Like it sounds like someone's been killed. Sorry. Is it I'm... people is, is it people under the stairs? In your... <laughs> I don't have stairs, I'm all good. I live in a bungalow. <laughs> oh, people, gonna... uh, people under the floorboards for the single. The shit out of us that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry I... if I looked a bit off guard. That really, really startled us. You went you went very pale. That's why I'll text you I... see if you're all right. <laughs> I'm trying to like listen. I've got my window open just slightly, but it's gone now. Sorry. I live in a I live in a very quiet street with a lot of elderly people, so when that happens, it's very rare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah another film that I saw way too young, but mm. maybe other quotes like absolute bastards. We fucking love it. It's great, gory. Um, <clears throat> it's weird. I mean. They kill someone very brutally, um, the mother and the father who are actually brother and sister, um, just to add uh, insult injury. And they just start dancing, you killed him, daddy. What did, did you see him? He called me a fool. And it was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Really good. I love the girl, Alice, who's just this 
poor little creature. And there's this bit where um, she has to clean up the blood from the rock. Um, and she gets blood all over her nice, clean dress. And they put her in the bath. And it's scabbing hot with a dress on. And it's, it's, absolute, it's absolutely harrowing, harrowing-like. But there's just certain things about it that just kind of just makes you kind of with oh like she makes dolls of all the people that were neighbors who died who 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 were knocking on or people who like gas men and all that sort of the people who knew too much and she she makes them to keep their souls in you like you need some friends this is like I can see it with the writing in this as well. It was very quintessential Wes Craven. From you could see like from like like the fingerprints all over it, like who the director was. Mm-hmm. I think like I think we talked about it on a previous podcast we episode have. as well. Um, I know this is one of the ones that they do rumor about like, every few years that they're going to remake or redo. No. But it, no. it doesn't. I don't see the point or need for it to be remade. But Grant's looking very sinister there. No, no, I I adore this film, and to, to add what Kelly said about the characters and all that kind of stuff, a weird little segue back to where I went off on a tangent with David Cronenberg because the two parents in it, what's mm-hmm. what were they established in? Um, they're two of the main characters in Twin Peaks. So mm-hmm. just with the two actors in there, you had the um, you had the weirdness already established. Um, but no, I'm shaking my head because every time somebody says they shouldn't make, remake a movie, I just want them <laughs> to remake it even more. Just to piss you fuckers off. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't mind them make, remaking films. I'm not one of these people that says, no. "Oh, this, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be touched or anything like that." I just don't I, see. I'm only messing. How they, I, no, no, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good talk, conversation though. I just don't see how they could improve it, if that makes sense. Because there's no way you can tell a, a story any differently. And it's very time, like, as I say, you know, kind of the ghettos and, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, like places like that still exist, but I do think it is a quintessential sort of like 90s issue. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Especially if, if you look at Candyman as well, that's the yeah. same kind of um, issue is the, yeah. is the is the ghettos and the, and the projects all being closed down to make way for the riches of other people. It's the same in People Under the Stairs. Um, this is one of my favourites. This was like a find when I was a kid and just couldn't believe that I found it because I was like, nobody else knows about it. Mm. But I was wrong, <laughs> really wrong. <laughs> Love this film so much. Sorry. It's so much fun. <laughs> cool. So very good pick there. So again, take it to the dark side there, Kelly. Um, see, see where Grant's number four pick is going to take us. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Absolutely even darker, mate. Um, and I'm back in Belgium um, because the Belgians make some blinding movies that nobody's ever heard about. Um, this film came out in 1992, and it's one of the pioneers of the kind of mockumentary um, kind of handicam rough mm-hmm. shot um, style that we got to come obviously full circle off the back of the Blair Witch Project um, Mm. in the late 90s. And the synopsis, well, actually, I'll I'll tell you the title first because everybody's looking at me really, really confused, depending on where you are in the world. (laughs) In French, the movie is called It Happened Near Your Home. Right. Um, But in English, it's called Man Bites Dog. Ah, right. I thought it was going to be like switchblade romance or something like that, but that 
completely different sort of completely different film. <laughs> so, Man Bites Dog chronicles a serial killer called mm-hmm. Benoit who has been stumbled upon by a uh, student um, filmmaker while mm-hmm. he's out murdering people, and because he's charismatic and he wants to be famous, he invites the student filmmakers to film a documentary about him while he commits his killings. So it it is literally a student film crew following around what, obviously it's a mockumentary, he's not actually a serial killer, but it is a student film crew following a serial killer around uh, Belgium while he murders people. And all shot in black and white, um, cinematography-wise, very, very similar to what we see in Clerks by mm-hmm. Kevin Smith. Obviously, massively different subject matter, yeah. but there's still <laughs> this... There's a darkness to the comedy, and I've, with the exception of Videodrome, I think my picks so far have all followed this similar theme where there's extremity on all levels. Where it wants to be funny, this film is extremely funny. The guy that plays the serial killer plays a charismatic sociopath down to an absolute T. If you were speaking English, you would maybe not from a looks perspective, but from a personality perspective, you'd just be screaming Ted Bundy at this guy completely. And it has, along with that comedy, some of the, not just the most ferocious scenes that I've ever seen. Um, They're not massively graphic. They're not massively violent. But the way that they are shot and the way that certain bits just go on for a little bit too long then would make you comfortable um, is enough to stir another, you know, that kind of the disgust that you don't really get up until that point. Um, And gives birth to possibly uh, the grimmest drinking game slash cocktail um, I've ever heard in my life and being a former bartender this is one that I want to enlighten folks on so very very early on in the film it's actually the opening scene you have Benoit on a monologue um, over what um, weights of ballast you need to weigh down a body mm-hmm. and he goes off on great length about the difference between trying to get an elderly person's body to sink and a midget's body to sink obviously a little bit comical that he's been murdering for so long that he's actually had to, you know he's murdered enough midgets to know how to weigh them down um you know i'm not sure what the terminology would be now but because it's made in 1992 mm-hmm. that is the use of language yeah. obviously that you know mm-hmm. in this film he's not going into the different kind of just you know conditions that lead mm-hmm. to little people being different in different ways and mm-hmm. um, but later on in the movie they're sitting around the um him and the film crew just before one of the most brutal scenes in the film and they make a cocktail slash drinking game called a dead baby boy and what a dead baby boy is is a gin and tonic with an olive and a sugar cube and what you've got to do is you choose your olive and you choose your sugar cube and you tie them together and drop them in the drink so the sugar, Kelly's cube, represents, Sorry. The sugar cube represents the ballast and the olive represents the dead little boy that you've just thrown into the lake and the drinking game ends when whoever's ballast dissolves first and the olive floats to the surface and then you've got to down your drink and buy the next round. And it is... To say it's just a brutal scene is not really true because the way that that scene is shot leaves you 
giggling at what you're watching without realizing that what you're watching is possibly the most diabolical thing that you've ever heard in your fucking life. Yeah. Um, it's one of these films that gets you from different angles because you do start laughing and giggling at bits mm-hmm. where you suddenly stop yourself and think, what, you know, what the fuck am I actually watching here? I shouldn't be laughing at this bit, but that leads back to the way that mm-hmm. The actor is also called Benoit, but the way that the serial killer is depicted in this, because it's a mockumentary, because it's supposed to be unfiltered, uncensored, you know, what are your your serial killers? How did Ted Bundy manage to talk all of those people into being so trusting of him? How did Dharma talk all of those people into going back to his home? He did it because he was charismatic and Mm -hmm. because he appeared non-threatening. And that's what the lead actor, who's also the director, um, nobody uses actors' names in any of this. That's how real it is. The the film crew are the film crew and they're being referred to in their name. And Benoit, (coughs) the guy that plays the the killer, is also the editor. He he gets a serial killer down to a T because he gets the charisma in there Mm -hmm. that you never Mm -hmm. really see. You know, it's, if it is, it's massively over-proportioned, like um, Woody Harrelson, when he is, is uh, Mickey Knox and what have you, the, mm-hmm. the larger-than-life. This guy yeah. is just charismatic enough to talk you into the back of a van, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. I, um, to be fair, after, after you're telling us this, I feel like I need to watch The Goonies to cheer myself up. No, I am literally... <laughs> the, the, minute you said the, the minute you said the title, I typed it into Google, took a screenshot of it, because I love films like this. I love mockumentaries. I love real style, like handheld camera type things, or even like documentary, like or mockumentary crews. I've literally took a screenshot of it and I need to watch this film. I'm totally enthralled by what you were saying. I'm like, and more. Hilarious and equal measure. <laughs> I don't think Kelly's going to be seen ever again. <laughs> I honestly think you have shocked Kelly into silence. <laughs> Holy fuck <laughs> sugar cube and an olive <laughs> oh sweetheart don't <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll put the aristocats on for you as well so you can watch all the kiddies play it's okay <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i just want to stroke her hair and be like it's okay <laughs> soft kitty <laughs> oh, <bless. laughs> sorry <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. um Wow, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I, I knew we were going to go into realms, so we've, we've definitely hit hit levels. <laughs> um, I was enthralled, though. I yeah. was really enthralled. Oh no, I, it, it sounds entertaining, but, but I, I don't think I would have. I, it would have to be in a certain mindset where I could watch that and not uh, break, as if that makes sense. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is, though, mate. That because of the way that it's shot and because of the way that guy's plays it you don't Hmm. it's with the exception of one particularly Mm. visually ferocious scene the rest of it is so Mm -hmm. light-hearted and the bits that are brutal well they they'll splice into something quick before Mm -hmm. it's had a chance to have an effect Mm -hmm. on you Mm -hmm. and you know kind of almost like the anti-hero sort of thing going on you know like um they're like in Devil's Rejects, where all, all of a sudden you realise you're rooting for the family that's just raped a motel room full of people. Yeah. Um, Benoit <laughs> does the same thing and does it absolutely spectacularly all the way through. Um, mm. Well worth a watch. Maybe you, you, you might need to be a little bit serious to watch it, just a touch. <laughs> um, 
No, watch Goonies beforehand. <laughs> watch Goonies beforehand. It puts in a happy yeah. mindset. But yeah. Um, so Sammy, you're actually getting a pick now, bless you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going with one. I generally don't know if I've picked before, and I, I think you have, mm-hmm. but I don't think I have. So I'm going with it. I think it is the quintessential, or one of the quintessential cult films, and it's from the '90s. It's Crow. Yeah, very. Ah, oh, the Crow. I don't think I've picked it before. No, I have. Yeah, I think I picked it, definitely. But when I think of cult, this one mm-hmm. does definitely come to mind. And I just think because of potentially the sad death of um, Brandon. Brandon Lee um, could have carried that cult status on, but that yeah. wasn't what it was for me. Mm-hmm. That It was carried on because this is quintessential to my life as a, te- as a teenage goth. Yes, yeah. it was, a te- like I say, a superhero goth movie mm-hmm. for like I love the comic like because oh. I read the comic before I saw the film um was absolutely obsessed like mm-hmm. I've gotten the, the name of it James O'Barr <clears throat> yes <clears throat> like even the visuals is beautiful I know the story is slightly different to what what we got and uh, like on screen mm-hmm. but it, like I say if you're talking about bleakness and like say just just sadness I think in a film and the soundtrack portrays that as well with like the the bands like uh i'm sure it was like the cure and nine inch nails was part of it as well like i always class it as beautiful sadness mm-hmm. because of the, the the fact you know the, the story i think in the comic it shelly shelly lived or something along those lines there is definitely differences between the comic and but it's been such a long time since i've read it and um, it's just mm-hmm. it's it is quintessential to my life Mm-hmm. Like it was like this, the craft. Yeah. Um, I and I even scream to a certain extent. I have movies that are ingrained in us mm-hmm. and are, are actually like a part of us. And mm-hmm. this is one of them. I, I love this film so much. I used to have an amazing collection of crow memorabilia, and one of them was a. It was a plushy doll. With a hard head, it looked incredibly strange. He was about this big. Um, and my dad got us him from California. Um, and he was my prized possession until I, I lost him in a, in a move. And I'm, I am oh, devastated. Oh. He was old. He was, ta- he was pre-owned. He had like a pleather um, leather coat on. It, it, but his body was <laughs> soft. It was so weird. But I just love... I love how this film makes us feel when I watch it as well. I feel young again. Into the podcast, if anyone can get Sammy this plushie, she, <laughs> she will give you extra love. Uh, like I say, lots of people get presents from the podcast or the group. She would love this Aww. present, guys. <laughs> Listen to him. I don't know if he's being nice or sarcastic. Been, uh, I, I would call you a twat if I was being sarcastic. So, well, you've called us worse tonight. So. <laughs> But um, no, I, I would say this is one of the like say the modern day cult films. Well, no, not modern day now. Jesus, we're fucking old. <laughs> yeah, let's remember how old we are in comparison to how old this is as well. Yeah, it, it's one of them films that doesn't feel old because because no. when you see it, it 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 has as you said there's the sadness to it. There's the the legend that comes with it as well with like what happened mm-hmm. on set. <clears throat> that the fucking finished the movie as well. Um, but 
like I said, even the beautiful, like there's even the lines in this is just like I said, mm-hmm. so perfect. Saying like it can't rain all the time. Yeah. It's just wet. Like, it's so wet. It's so yeah. Yeah, it's film noir, and film noir is timeless. It's another one of those movies where it's always nighttime and it's always raining. Yes, Um, it sets the scenes spectacularly. I've, you know, I've rewatched these really, really recently after talking to me missus about these, and she forced me to watch the two sequels, which I'm never going to (laughs) forget. I love City of Angels. I the soundtrack's banging. I love, but I love the guy who plays um, the crow, and I can't think of his name. He was bless his heart. He was in Lost Boys, isn't it? No, he's in Queen of the Damned. Um, Oh my gosh, that's going to bother us. Keep talking, Grant, and I'll find out. Uh, It's not him out of Lost Boys. Can uh, can I just can I retract getting Sammy the the plushie for saying that? It's Vincent Perez who plays the right. crow in the second one. Um, and it unfortunately was in the Queen of the Damned film. I don't mind City of Angels. Um, fuck all yes. <laughs> It's not the crow, that's for sure. But uh, we watched it the other day and Anth was like blown away with how much he actually forgot about this film. Like he forgot Ernie Hudson's in it. Yeah, Ad Winston from Ghostbusters, uh-huh. the cop was pretty, but that's the big thing I think a lot of people do forget about this movie is the cast, because yes. um, like, like every single like bad guys in it, like Fun Boy, uh, I can't remember the other ones now, but like all of them play so sinister and so well, and then you think when we've got the big big bad, but then there's the the, the guy out of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh. Uh, he comes in, who plays the guy of Gisborne and that. He comes in being the big bad and makes you have his sinister sister that he fucks. It's a bit of incest, incestuous uh, going on as well. Um, but as a whole, it's not the perfect film. No. It's it's a film, like say, as I said, of its time. And yeah. I don't think... Again, the sequels came out. Again, we'll probably get into a debate like what worked, what did. Like, say some very choice acting with like Edward Furlong in one of the roles as well. The fat fat crow. Sorry, we were talking about this last night. (laughs) He literally is the fat crow from Impractical Jokers. (laughs) Yeah, um, it it could have been like I, I don't think it's one of them where it needed sequels or the story arcs as a one shot. It worked better. Oh. 100%. 100%. I am not mad that there is a, a new crow coming out. I really wish people would stop saying it's a reboot. This is a comic book series. It has many stories. You don't have to do the Eric Draven one. Um, mm. But you are right. The cast, um, you've got Michael Massey as fun boy. Tony Todd, fucking mm. Candyman himself is in there. Mm. Um, the guy who plays Top Dollar is Michael Wincott, who has one of the most beautiful voices in Hollywood that mm. gravelly voice is just oh spe- absolutely spectacular um you've and I think it was Michael Massey on who was the unfortunate soul who mm. pulled the trigger that mm. killed Brandon yeah. Lee and I it breaks my heart that he he was he was he was punished by Hollywood for that and he's only in the last few years kind of like got his name back in circulation again. I think he's always worked. I just don't think it was to the level of where he could have been. Do you not think it was just not him not recovering after that as well? Potentially, yeah. Because that's yeah. that's a, that's got to be a hard one to, mm-hmm. to, to swallow. 
Yeah, but no, I'm glad this one was going to be picked because, like, yeah, I couldn't pick it because if we're following the rules, we're trying to follow rules. It's getting harder and harder each it week. It really now. is. I can't, like, <laughs> in the beginning, it was fine because we kept lists yeah. and I could just go back on my lists and check, but we don't keep lists anymore. So yeah. I I can't go back and check, but I definitely recall never picking LaCroix. And I think this was the reason, this mm. was the, the pick I wanted to put it in. Cool. So... Are you happy to move on to my... Oh, fourth? absolutely. So I'm going to 1979 with this one. Have Kelly's Kelly? gone. No, oh, she's, she's back. I'm on and my bloody phone's plugged in. Oh, and bless you. I'm on two minutes now. You're good, you're good. You only went away for a second. And your beautiful face is back. We'll try, let's try and move it along. Um, 19, 1979. It should have been an 80s film, but it wasn't. Um, this is probably the one of the most homoerotic movies I've I've seen and I absolutely love. Um, it, the story is so basic, but it works well because it, it's such an, an um, a simple story. Mm-hmm. It's got iconic uh, lines that I'd say anyone knows and the characters in it are brilliant and some of the actual characters when you see it like in, st- in the stages are so more iconic as well it was a brilliant computer game that brought out for this as well um, it's got one of the best like say scenes in it um, I'll, I'll, I'll do one of the scenes and see if you can guess can you dig it <laughs> and so it was the the warriors the warriors the warriors the basic story is this gang like say all the gangs in in new york at the time grew up got together to to have peace and uh stop all the warfare and these gang called the Warriors, who were just brutish, wearing vests, having like all the ripped <laughs> muscles out. You can tell the homoeroticism, like uh, all the the jive turkeys of the of the seventies as well. Um, and basically, they were framed for killing the big the big Kahuna, who the guy who was basically going to f- save and fi- fix all the problems. Um, and all they did, wanted to do was get back home. That is this the story of this film: them trying to get back home. But you get them going through all the different gangs, like the the baseball gang with the good face paint is absolutely like iconic scene. Um, I can't remember the the, the female gang now. That the women where they get the thing they safe and they start pulling out all the knives. But each of the warriors start getting picked off one by one. One gets arrested and handcuffed to the uh, to the park bench by an undercover police officer uh, because he start because he breaks the rules and starts chatting up birds and stuff. But it's just brilliant. Um, it's it's so shit. It's brilliant. I've only seen it once, Love it. but it is my dad. And this is like, if you know my dad, he likes like he la- he loves silly comedies. Mm-hmm. But this is one of his most favorite films of all time. He absolutely adores this film, and I've only ever seen it once. That well, just goes to show how much pull I had in the house of what I watched. <laughs> It's it's quite interesting as well because when I was in the the shop buying the new Gremlin today, mm-hmm. um, I saw a pop on the wall, and like say I, I had my picks already picked, and I saw it and I like right, is it's fate because I've had to get it, so I've actually got a Warriors pop. Oh, yeah! <laughs> is that the guy who does the this the Warriors bit with yeah, the glass? It's, it's Luther, so it's he, he was in loads of um 
like eighties films, and he was recently in uh, the John Wick. He was as one of the cleaners. He cleaned up the mess, um, like the bodies and stuff. Um, a lot older than he was then, but yeah, except with the glasses gone, warriors come up but play. But you wanted to be a warrior. You wanted to wear that vest. And like I said, the game that came out for the PlayStation was fucking epic as well. It was such yeah. a good game. <laughs> e, I thought you were going down the Super Mario Brothers route, you know, when you <laughs> when you mentioned video game, I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> well, the, the game came out after the movie, though. So that, that was the thing. It was very. It was made by Rockstar. It was uh, Grand Theft Auto makers who made it. So it was very much like Grand Theft Auto. He's also T-Bird in the crow. I've just been looking at yep. his um, his <laughs> filmography. Bloody hell, I can't picture him. Like, yep. between the Warriors and that? Crazy. Mm. No, but um, so it should have been an 80s film, but unfortunately it was 1979. So <laughs> as close as it comes, but um, it had, like, say, everything that you wanted. Like, the fight scenes were, were, were actually really well done for the time. And how it was shot it's very much um basic it could have even been like a documentary style shooting because mm. like it was very much like calm and running around but just when you saw the ballers when like say the face paint and like mm. chasing them with a baseball bat on and roller skates it was just sinister and done so well i love it i love like say it was one of my favorite films and i think not many people have seen it as well so it is one yeah. of the things that i would say is a great classic <laughs> just- <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just farted in a sleep and woke herself up, then barked at her own ass for farting. Sam, did you fart? <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I nearly shit myself. You're We're not, not playing a fucking one. ghost game again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Twitch tonight. Like, I don't need to be scared. So that's my fourth pick. Oh, oh, my sorry, God. Guys. It's that's fine. fine. It's fine. What I was going to say about the Warriors is the fact of how, how basic it's shot mm-hmm. makes it more beautiful yeah. to look at. Mm-hmm. I think if you did that as <laughs> the horse going <laughs> off it, <laughs> I think if you could, if you if you shot that with a with a better quality, I don't think it would have the same effect. Yeah. Yeah, you've just shit everyone else in the chat as well. Nearly scared the life away as well. <laughs> <laughs> he is brilliant. Oh, excellent choice, my friend. Cool. So we're going to Kelly for our last pick. Make it a last good one, pick. lady. Last one. Uh, right. Okay. This is my naughty's pick. Um, it was directed by Thomas Alfredson in 2008. Um, read it. It's a romantic horror film, and it's mm-hmm. been remade in 2010, based mm-hmm. on a It is called Let the Right One In. Oh. oh. Which version? Which version are we? The Swedish one. The Swedish one, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, okay. What's not, the English version called? Let Me In. Let Me In. Let Me In, that's it. So, um... Bullied child who makes friends with a strange-looking girl who you find out later on is a vampire, and it's based in Stockholm in the 1980s. Um, mm. It was based on the 2004 novel, which goes into a lot of depth about, you know, the backstory of Eli, the, um, the girl that he, he uh, meets. To be honest, I prefer the film in mm. that you don't need to know that hefty backstory. You can just take this at face value. And what I love about this film is you... Put your own, you put the jigsaw pieces in 
as how you see it. You you mm-hmm. you you give um, a little bit more to that because you, you you're given the bare bones and you kind of think, well, I'll 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 tell you my take on it. It'll, it'll make more sense. So you've got there um, a deeper look into the vampire trope, which tends to be glamorized. I mean. Interview with a vampire it was very glamorous to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. Lost but is very glamorous. Uh, but what I like about this, this young girl is a vampire. And it puts me in mind of Claudia, who was made into a vampire mm-hmm. and wasn't able to look after herself. She had to be looked after. And I think this is this girl's issue. She needs someone. She can't go around fighting. She's, she's very vulnerable, even though she's got that animalistic need within her. So she's got this lackey, um, Hakan, um, this this man who you assume to be her father, but really he's the guy who harvests blood for her and keeps her alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know very little about their relationship. Um, as I say, Oscar, this bullied lad, sees her in the play park. She's got bare feet in the bloody snow, which is a bit weird, you know, and he knows, like, obviously there's, like, a man there. Um it says it's a romantic horror film. I don't see it as romance. I see it more as kindred spirits. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's need... very, it's very innocent as well. Mm. It's yeah. very innocent. Yeah, people who need people to live, mm-hmm. which is because that's what she needs. Quite mm-hmm. literally, you yeah. know, people to live. Um, so we've got this like young vamp. She has to have this sort of lackey to to survive. Um, she can't survive alone. So you've got there, Hakan. You don't know his past. Was he like Oscar? Did they befriend each other when they were younger and he's looked after her? Because mm-hmm. you don't know how he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think I think it is like not reference, but it's like kind of alluded to that that the same thing happened what's happening now happened back then and that's it was the kid that she found back then had grown yeah. up and now is is a handler. So it's kinda of like she's looking for his replacement. Yeah, but it, I think it, it, you could make that sound like quite sort of like, I need a new lucky. But mm-hmm. I find uh, there's, a, there's a scene um, where the poor bloke, I mean, he's getting on a bit. He gets caught trying to, you know, fucking get some blood for her, you know, out of human. Um, and he pours like acid on his own face so he can't be like kind of... Recognised, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes to see him in the hospital and it's quite touching. He offers his blood to her, like the final sort of sacrifice. And I do think she's actually quite, you know, touched and upset about this. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of goes on its head when she, it's that night. It goes to Oscar, oh, we're going steady. Like mm-hmm. almost kind of like, yes, he is the the, the next to, mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of take on this mantle of looking after her sort of thing, which to be honest, that like is a lot of trust from her as well. Mm-hmm one that this person could look after her um and it's just the brutal and harrowing scenes aren't of the harvesting of blood it's mm-hmm. actually bullying the yeah. bullying that oscar goes through is actually yeah. more awful than the deaths that this person you know mm-hmm. um so it's almost kind of like motive you know bullying mm-hmm. really because of you know power whereas um getting the blood for, for eli is like you know it's a need it's like yeah. food you know what I mean? So this, I find, yeah. This has the most beautiful scene with a swimming pool, doesn't it? This is the yeah. film I'm thinking. Oh my god, I get goosebumps when that comes it, on. I, it, I I wouldn't describe it as beautiful. I find it har- harrowing. It's because oh, when he's beautiful. under when he's underwater and being held underwater, mm-hmm. 
No, no, he goes underwater, doesn't he? And then she does the the, 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 the it's just how it's shot. Yeah. You don't you don't we don't have to see the death, you just see the blood coming in the water. No, what think, you don't see that haunts you. Yeah, because I think the because I think the bullies Yeah, because the bullies keeping his head under the water. Uh-huh. And, all he's, and all you see is the arm come off. And then oh, the, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And then the legs of someone getting dragged across the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Like you know, being flung through, like almost. Oh God! As as I say, you you, you kind of come up with what happens in your head, yeah. which is be more like harrowing than what actually would have been filmed. Do you know mm. what I mean? Just yeah. remember how beautifully shot it was for like. Uh, for, oh, for, unbelievable! Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this, though. I love it. I, I love the end. You know, box and they're doing a bit of Morse code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it is the 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 circle again. But I, I I loved it, and just as I say, I didn't see it as romance because I know no. in, in the book you find out she's like some sort of eunuch, and I just thought, not you don't need to. It, it's not a romantic love. It's yeah. a it's a it's a it's a dependent sort of thing. They need each other. She gave him the strength to hit back at the bullies, mm. and. He gives her the strength to live, and it's just, I like it. I love no, it. It's a very nice, like, as I said, it's a very innocent story, but done in a way which, I say, is both scary but poetic at certain mm-hmm. times as well. <clears throat> like I say, I remember when this, because this one kind of come out of nowhere then exploded because mm-hmm. when they got told that they were going to do the remake, and then everyone was saying, oh, so what's this big vampire film that's getting remade? And again, I know when the American one came out, it's still not a bad version. It just doesn't have mm. the performances that this one gives. Like yeah. it's 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 not as innocent. And I think that's probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. There's something lacking in the because they do the American ones that when they when they do a, a remake of a foreign film to American, it's simply because they just want people to understand it. They want mm. people to know the story, so they just changed it into English so we can understand it. They did it with them, um, the Grudge, and there's been right. others. Yeah, um, but I just there's there's something missing chemistry wise. I didn't I didn't almost care <laughs> when the, the, the American one than I did when I watched. The original, yeah. Mm-hmm. You you saw indeed to both characters. You mm-hmm. see, that both of them have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. She's you know kind of like a vampire, just a boy. But the thing is, I mean, she's still just a girl, really. And it's 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 that vulnerability <laughs> that she's a young vampire. She can't age. She can't look after herself. And it's ah, oh, it just I love it. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. And yeah, very good pick. So. I'm, well, now I'm with a little bit of trepidation because Grant's got a little smile on his face. Look at that cheeky <laughs> smile! So, I hate to think what he's going to pick next. So uh, your, uh, I've kept my light-hearted one. Oh, <laughs> right. what? <laughs> After the last one, I was just going to break down. <laughs> it's a Serbian film? No, oh. it's not. Um, <clears throat> No, no, I know I tried to stay away from horror as much as I could. And because um, I obviously horror is the reason I ended up on this podcast in the fucking first place. So I wanted to try and be a little bit different. But the one that I've got um, to finish off is one of the most modern ones um, that we've listed tonight from 2018. 
Um, amazing supporting cast, amazing lead cast as well, including Daniel Glo uh, Danny Glover, uh, Stephen Yen, and is it is that how you say it? Yen? Yeah, yeah, Stephen Glenn Yen, in, yes. Um, Walking Dead, uh, and Terry Crews playing a remarkably uh, non-comedic or action-based role in either of these as well. Um, like say 2018, and I've Callie mentioned before massive attacks on capitalism and I've never seen a more massive attack on capitalism than this film. Uh, it's a film called Sorry to Bother You. Oh, never heard of it. Nobody's seen it. Never it's heard of it. It's a cult movie. Um, <laughs> critical acclaim. Um, it's, I'm not familiar with this guy. It was the directorial debut of a guy called Boots Riley, who is apparently quite big in the hip hop scene. Um, yes. But I don't really listen to much modern hip hop, so I've not heard of the guy. Um, quick synopsis. Um, so you've got um, your main character, whose character name completely escapes me now, and I've only just watched it. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, he's down on his luck. Um, he doesn't have a job. We've got a beautiful girlfriend who's an artist and a bit of an activist and what have you, living in his uncle's uh, garage and manages to get a job as a telemarketer. And it is your stereotypical telemarketing office of... You know, you've got to ring up old people and vulnerable people and basically con them into buying shit that they don't need. Um, and he's not doing too well at it and gets sat next to Danny Glover. Uh, we're talking about amazing voices. And obviously Danny Glover is, you know, it's like gravel wrapped in velvet uh. man's voice. It's absolutely fucking stunning. Yeah. And you get this little kind of conversation going where he goes, you know, you know what your problem is, kid? The problem is that you don't have a white voice. And the guy who's, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's played by um, Lake Heath Stanfield. Um, I had to check the actor's name there. And he's like, what do you mean a white voice? Because like, you know, you're sitting there and you're talking, you know, like you're on the street in LA. You're talking like you're going to mug them. You need a white voice. And then Danny Glover literally turns around and he's like, hello and thank you. You know, <laughs> but, you know he sounds like the, your wimpy kind of mm -hmm. middle-aged stereotypical white man. So Lickheath um, adopts this style and ascends up the ranks to be the best seller in the office, at which point he gets moved into another office above him. And that's when this mental conspiracy starts to unfold. All the while in the background, you've got a business called Worry Free. And Worry Free offer employment, housing and food for life. It's essentially slave labor, and it is a huge attack at the way that um, Amazon's warehouse dynamic is working because this company, Worry Free, make everything, sell everything. Everybody works for them, and they've kind of basically imprisoned the workforce, so to speak. And as he goes up the ranks, he realizes that part of this scam telemarketing that he was initially a part of is part of this bigger story with this very, very remorseless company called Worry Free. That's only about the first 20 minutes, half an hour. I will say this about this movie. Sammy, if you watch this film, it will become your favourite film of all time. What's it called? Specifically at you. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. This is yeah. the film Stephen Yen did straight after Walking Dead, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, um... um... Yeah. Please don't read up on it. Please don't um, no, get no, any I've, of the twists and giveaways. No, no, but when I'm you not, get the I'm twist, not going to, I'm just going to take a photograph of the thingy. There we go. And <laughs> I'll watch it. But, um, again, it's uh, got a lot of twists and turns emotionally. This guy is torn because he's obviously in a very um, 
unethical business um, at a point in his life where he's struggled to make any kind of money and he's struggled to make any life for himself. Um, so obviously he wants to try and build the foundation with which he can build a better life by making the money that is required and obviously coming off commission onto a salary. Um, and it's, you know, a very, uh, a very generous salary that they give him. But all the while his girlfriend, who is an activist, is absolutely against worry-free and everything that they represent for obvious reasons. So there's this constant bouncing back and forward and the morality involved and the pressures that are put on him from both his partner and from work and from other aspects of his life in order to try and get further and further ahead. Once it gets going, it it hits you with a massive curveball, which is why I'm saying don't look into it mm-hmm. too much because it Definitely. suddenly goes from 50 mile an hour to 500 mm-hmm. mile an hour and you just go, hold on. <laughs> and then I'm not going to say nope. anymore. It's a film that I, I recommend <laughs> I to nearly everybody since I've seen it, not mm-hmm. just for the the emotional elements, not just for the kind of socio-political and uh, capitalist elements that it tries to bring out. It's got a wake-up call based on race, based on sexism, based on, you know, kind of class warfare and all of that kind of stuff. It it, It pinpoints every little bit that's kind of wrong. And I mentioned idealism in the future as well. It is set in the not too distant future. Um, You know, when you're looking at the future, you only go two ways, really, do you? Mm. You go utopian or you go dystopian. Mm -hmm. And the minute you say the word dystopia to me, Mm. my ears prick up and I'm like, (laughs) yes, I will watch that. I like the future. Mm -hmm. And it definitely lays the foundations for a very, very bleak future if we keep going at the way at the rate that we are going. Yeah. Um not just on one particular thing though, on absolutely everything. Go watch it. Have fun. No more spoilers except nope. for the fact it will become someone's <laughs> favourite film. I will I will watch it. I haven't got a chance to watch it before I go away, but I will watch it when I come back. I've got it saved because I I feel like I've heard of this because I'm a huge Stephen Yen fan to start with. And I remember the the, ne- the next him doing an interview about the next project he was doing and I'm sure this was it um, so yeah. yes I will definitely watch it and I will let you know what I think is it, it my last go? Yeah, it's your last one, make it count long lady I'm going to make it count but I'm going to make it short and sweet Okay. Right. okay. Oh. <laughs> so this is from 1988 it is I only watched it a few months ago and I can understand why people have it's just grown a love over the last couple of years um, that I've seen anyway. I don't know if that's the case, but for me, I have just seen nothing but love and admiration for this movie. It is stupid, by the way. It is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> I love it! And this, I watched this not long ago and was completely and utterly blown away with how fucking brilliant it was. It has everything in there um fantastic (laughs) yes it really is but i don't understand like i just it amazes me how these things happen um that they just that they've existed for so long and then all of a sudden you don't hear about them and all of a sudden they're just everywhere like they're in halloween horror nights at bloody orlando and and los angeles they have funkos out now they have figures they're like they've just blown out of nowhere yet it's been around since 1988 
Mm-hmm. Crazy to us, but this film is just it's fun. It's got a great soundtrack to it. Um the clown um prosthetics are absolutely amazing. The colours in it are amazing. The the props that oh I just love it. I love everything about it. It is a massive acid trip of clownness oh, yeah. and I love it. A massive say that again, I love that say it, say it. A massive acid trip of clownness. <laughs> It really that, is because that, that, that should be the tagline for any movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's you, if someone says describe killer counts from outer space, it's just fucking fun. Like yeah. it is so much fun. There is nothing to hate about this film. But nothing. That's the, that, but that's what films should be. Like, see, yeah. I know there's films to be thought, but at the end of the day, it is about fun. And I agree mm-hmm. with you wholeheartedly. And like, what a pick. I'd never expected that one to come out of anywhere. Yeah. But as you said, I think it's one of the ones where it came out because someone was probably fucked up on some kind of drugs making... Oh, um, 100%. It's, it was around the time the same as Ghoulies and stuff like that when they were ripping off yeah. Gremlins. So they were trying to do the whole like new spin-off type stuff. But uh, yeah, w- what a shit film. But it's a good film, it, if that makes no, sense. No, it is. No, it is. I, there's... If we watched this back in the 80s, early 90s, we'd be like, what the fuck are we watching? You watch it now, like hitting, like I'm hitting me 40s soon, and I'm like, holy shit, where the fuck has this been my whole life? Like, this is brilliant. I can't get over the sheer amazingness for 1988, the prosthetics of them clowns. Mm-hmm. They are full standing human beings in there and Oh, it is amazing. I love it. I am going to keep it short and sweet because there's not a lot you could go into on this one. Like, there's no there's no meaning behind it. There's no depth. There's no, do you know what I mean? It's just, just a really fun, good it's, fucking... It's just killer crowns from outer space. Exactly. It's a <laughs> fucking fun film. Fun. Yeah. Fun. And it's from the 80s. <clears throat> Sorry, Charlotte. <laughs> That's my pick. My final pick. Cool. So I'm glad no one's picked mine. Now, this one, like I say, when I was talking, thinking about it like during the week, it's because um, it was either this or Heather's, like with Kelly's pick. Um, but I think it represents what we're doing a little bit as well. Because I think before like YouTube and podcasts and stuff like that, they had radio. Right. And the only way to get out there, but this again was 1990, so it should have been 1989, but it wasn't. Uh, it was a Christian Slater film. It was all about Happy Harry Hard On. Uh, pump up the volume uh, yes, with one of the best soundtracks ever in a film. Uh, it's basically Christian Slater playing the shy boy at school, but on a night time. He plays a shock jock on a pirate radio station where his, his pseudonym is Happy Harry Hart, um, Hart, 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 uh, Hart on. Um, some of his acts, he's pretending to masturbate and come six times during like during being on, on the radio, playing songs from albums that's been banned. Um, his father was the school commissioner, so he was getting documents about the school he was at because it was like the highest uh, GPA or highest SAT ratings in the whole um, of, of, of its county because it was purposely getting rid of students with low averages or forcing them out and, and earmarking them. So it was basically him rising above and, and, and starting a cult, like not a cult, but a, a community through, through what they were saying and through 
how they were talking and, and the build-up. So basically, from him giving a voice to the movement, people were coming together and standing up against, like, say, the, like everything. But I know Sam's not saying this for them. Is this, <laughs> is this you trying to say that Christian Slater was your inspiration behind Nerdy of North? <laughs> no, no, fuck that. It was the Goonies out of the other um, week. But... <laughs> Paul, I've not, I've not seen it, but, mate, I've never heard of it. It is, like I say, one of these films that I've, I've tried sitting down watching it with my parents and never felt so uncomfortable because, <laughs> as I said, for the first five minutes is Christian Slater slapping the back of his neck, pretending to be coming on, on a radio station while talking about, like, say, things, but um, it's so bleak. And it's so, like, one of the... Like, he gets letters from uh, people that's writing into the show and he's reading the letter and it said, oh, I'm going to kill myself. So he, And he's got a telephone number and he rings him. And he starts asking them questions and the kids like proper kicking off and then he hangs up and doesn't it. And you find out the next day that the kid blew his own head off. God. Um, and again, like I say, he's helping kids that don't have the voice to say it, like, cause it's doing it anonymously. Mm-hmm. Like one of the kids is talking about coming out being gay and how some older boys abused him and, and now treat him like dirt because the new of his sexuality. And he, and he's saying, oh, you probably think I'm some fag, uh, his words. And he's yeah. like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm surprised at how brave and strong people are. And it's really meaningful. And again, oh. for, for the subject matter it is, it, it is basically like a shock jock out there. But it's so perfectly done. And as I said, there's like, sound, like, it, like when you're going through his like tape decks, it's got like Soundgarden, it's got like Henry Rollins. Um, but Christian Slater, plays the role really well he's like not the normal christian slater like well mm-hmm. when, when he's harry happy harry hard on he is perfect <laughs> it is christian slater being christian slater but when he's at school he struggles to talk to the girl he likes and he's playing shy and you can see like like with us in a way yeah. a lot of people like say when they're in person they've got online personas this yeah. wasn't this is before online this was his persona how he could like express himself in a way and it's all about freedom of speech expression and talking real with people um and it just made us think when i've like thought about this film it's quite what we do yeah that's where you get there like say we don't go out to shock mm. but we like to get our opinion off and we don't try and pretend to be anything and it was just so liberating and like um like it, it's just um like if you haven't seen it, I hugely recommend go away watch it. It's inspirational, but again, it's stupid at the same time. You yeah. laugh, you'll cry. Uh, it's very much in the in the ilk of Heather's. Mm-hmm. I will have. I, I have getting some excellent recommendations here, mind. I knew I would from Grant. I thought I knew Grant would like chuck some oddballs out there that I'd never heard of, but I've never heard of that one ever. <laughs> I've got. I've just taken a photograph of it, so I've got like a <laughs> photographs of all these films to go and watch. <laughs> I only saw this film relatively uh, recently in the grand scheme of things. It's only been in the last three or four years, but I just want to echo what Paul says. Mm-hmm. It Heather's was to what your your teeny romantic comedy kind of things, as Pump Up the Volume is to Footloose. Yeah, is the way Apparently. that I see it. It's still got that anti-establishment sort of feel, but without the sheeny, happy kind of gleefulness to it. There's a 
like Paul said, with the suicide element and the kid coming out and what have you, there's a darkness to it that made it feel more mm-hmm. real for mm-hmm. people that were coming from mm-hmm. a darker place mm-hmm. when they watched it. Um, it, it it's an, a fucking absolute work of art, this movie, and I hadn't heard of it. I knew nothing of it until about three or four years ago. And after watching it once, I was like, <laughs> why haven't I seen this film before? <laughs> when did it come out? Yeah. I think I was nine. <laughs> I love moments like that, though, when you watch something that you, you should have watched, you, you know, in your head, you probably should have watched years ago. And when you watch it, like, as an adult now, I love that feeling. I really do. There's nothing like it where you like watch a film where you're like, oh, like it, it gets you mm-hmm. and like inspires you. Oh, I love it. Well, it's got the actress you know out of uh, Little Shop of Horrors who plays Audrey in, who plays an oh, English teacher. Uh, oh, and... Ellen. Um, oh, Ellen yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Green. Ellen Green. Yep. But she, she, like, she hasn't got the squeaky voice and you only recognise her because of the big doughy eyes. And oh, she yeah. plays a partner. Like, like she's an English teacher and she's trying to stick up for the kids. But um, like I say, it's almost, as Grant said, it's like Footloose, Grease, crossed between uh, like a Howard Stern uh, episode as well, with a killer car chase at the end. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That changes everything then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <are> we... <laughs> okay. not, to give the, not, not to give the premise away, but like, say, because they're trying to shut him down because he's mm-hmm. giving all these secrets away. So they get the, like, the FCC in. So they're trying to track his radio station. So he takes it uh, to the road. And so they're chasing him around the streets of his thing, trying to track him. But um, Christian Slater, it's probably the most Christian Slater film there is, mm-hmm. but it's perfect for it. Oh, wow. and, I, and I can see Kelly smiling the way as well there. I think I remember watching this years and years ago, but one of those ones where it's just like, I didn't get it. Mm. But I love Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. It just I'll, I'll watch Fern Gully, but not watch it. Just listen to Christian Slater's voice because he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> We've had what three <laughs> Christian Slater movies in here? Yeah, yeah. quite a few. Yeah, he's the king of the cult movies. Really, oh, yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. All, yeah, all hail Christian Slater! Literally, is Absolutely. the king of cult movies. Yeah, um, like I say, I, I wanted to end it with that as well, just because oh. I think it's quite fitting because it represents a little bit what we're trying to do. Yeah, um, I love like, that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, yes, hitting on the heartstrings a little bit there, guys. <laughs> oh, get out! <laughs> I was going to do that earlier, when, but Paul was talking very beautifully about this film. Beatrice is going nuts in the background. And I'm like, shut up! <laughs> Come on, I just want to have you. She's just a huge staffy. She's licking my knees now. Nice. <laughs> Oh well. <laughs> well, that's called classics, everyone. <laughs> yes, and talked a lot about more ma- ma- masturbation than I was expecting. Yeah. Really? It's just it's just becoming the norm now. <laughs> next next one, top five films with one two. So yes, <laughs> only five. <laughs> Top five. Top five. We're not all right. to put Jennifer's body out there. <laughs> Fuck. Darn it. <laughs> we ha- always have to end on a uh, low tone, don't we? Well, we can't keep it like anything else because, like I say, we are nerdy up north, so That's northerners true. are a bit wrong. <laughs> we don't get called dodgy up north for no reason. <laughs> I'm going to watch Uncharted later as well. I think. <laughs> <Just> about- <laughs> oh, we've lost to Kelly. Oh, no. oh dear.
Oh, well, we're finishing off now. Mm-hmm. Oh, bless her. Two seconds as well. I'll just Is she talk. coming back? Don't know. Kelly, oh, Kelly, where are you, Kelly? Well, yeah, I think we've lost all mentions. Um, probably the ones that we were that we've mentioned before, like probably cult classics of the eighties. Probably Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, uh, License to Drive. Um, Maximum Overdrive. Uh, Weird Science. You mentioned uh, uh, an actor before, mate. That it was so close to being in my top five, and I think it deserves an honourable mention simply for the uh, the budget. Uh, Hard Candy. Right, oh. Ellen Page. Any of you have seen it, Ellen Page yes. and uh, Patrick Wilson. It was done on a shoestring budget in 2005. <laughs> and it's one of the most gritty, horrible films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But it's so poignant in what it deals with. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. I, I am, shoe on that one in there at the end. I am not <laughs> laughing at what you're talking about. I have just seen the adjustment you made to me. Thank you for letting me back on the screen again. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work quick there, sorry. <laughs> you did, thank you. I'm like over here, and then all of a sudden I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Um, Maximum Overdrive is an honourable mention. Uh, Troll 2, because holy shit, that film is absolutely brilliant for all the wrong reasons. Um, can't think of another one. Um, probably like other ones. I think Charlotte's just nailed it in this chat as well. Fright Night. Is Fright Night! Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the first one, um, yes, obviously. Um, but you, again, you mentioned it before Juno. I think Juno was was is, is quite a cult film, and like you could have went to like ones depending on your definition of cult because there's films like that made big. But mm-hmm. I would say I was cult, cult say it's like uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a huge cult film. It has a cult following now. Um, Masters of the Universe, even though it's shit, it has its cult following. Um. Mm-hmm. Like say the films that are like shit fantastic. Even the Power Rangers movie has a big yeah. cult movie cult following now. Absolutely, and Mario Brothers have got to have movie. one in there. How <laughs> uh, one comic book movie from the nineties that I, I toyed were putting in here, but I think it'd probably make another list. Um, mm. So I, I'm not even sure if I should mention the title. <laughs> we have really bad memories, Grant. You know, we'll not remember. <laughs> Um, it's one of my favourites and it got overlooked at the time and it, especially in recent years with the talk about there being a remake of it and mm. people started to rediscover it again it's Tank mm. Girl Tank Girl Oh, Tank Girl. I think I've had that on my list yeah well, I think we've, we've talked about Tank Girl before but again brilliant film yeah. um, excellent Spawn 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 yes yeah but there's so That's many different ones I could have think but them are the ones I think I would probably say stand head and above the shoulders of like what I would say is mean mean more to me for the reasons one, the ones I've I went back to yeah. and enjoyed. It's ones where I've discovered not because someone's told us to watch, it's just been either been watching on channel four, like on one of because that was what pumped up the volume was on. It was on uh, the channel four season, like when it showed like films like Heather's, uh, that came on like say sitting with my parents I didn't I ran upstairs pretty quick uh within the first five minutes when they were like <laughs> Christian Slater talking about uh needing to explore his uh, helmet off was uh interesting <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yes um, um so people are mentioning the chat Rocky Horror Boondock Saints um Rocky Horror I yes it's a cult classic but for me it has a whole different level of fan base like there's no other like fans like Rocky Horror fans yeah, but I think the reason probably that hasn't made our list is because we've talked about it a lot yeah. on the podcast as well. It's it's hit on 
quite a number of times, a few times even. Um, yeah, but definitely. Like I say, any, any I, I think any film, as long as it's got a following, like say you can even like say uh, the Goonies has a has a cult following now. Uh, Stand mm-hmm. by me. Um, even like say the old horror, Hammer horrors like Frankenstein. Um, They're getting a bit of a revamp, aren't yeah. they? Like a revisitation to them. Yeah, but every, everything kind of has its own following, but. Mm-hmm. That's why I like doing the top fives as well, because you find what other ones' opinions, like if you've got similar taste, if you haven't got taste, you find new things. It's it's all about, like I say, that gradual learning. That That's what I love about doing this. Yeah. And, and thank you guys for being part of that. Yes. Thank you. I think this, this is the reason we started the top fives for us, because we wanted to 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 learn different things. Like, and like especially like when Grant's on, I can't count how many times like I've taken recommendations from Grant. Grant, when you're on the um, the charity podcast, I still have the list of the books that you recommended. Jesus. Like, oh. I do keep things like... Oh, Grant, I love you, Grant. Oh, Grant, will you come back on? I love you. Click, click, click. It's the voice, isn't it, Sammy? It's the voice. It's the voice. You're only fucking jealous because I don't say it to you. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have lasted that this long on the podcast if you if you if you said it to me. I'll be that uncomfortable. I will be off it like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna we, wrap this baby up. Yes, we wouldn't get it. Wouldn't work as well if we were that nice to each other. It wouldn't. It really <laughs> wouldn't. People would be fucking sick. I'd be fucking sick. <laughs> I know. God, Doug Paul would be sick. <laughs> But yes, so um, next week uh, Sam's away, so she's Hello, fucking yeah. off, um, yeah. going on holiday, abandoning us, uh, decide, deciding that she's better than us and wanting to do other things. Holy <laughs> shit, I'm going on holiday, <laughs> and you have the beautiful Charlotte who's going to co-host with you that day, so you, you're not doing too bad. Yep, step, I am... step, step your game up, Charlotte. You're the core. Do you know now. what? It's the best. It's the best topic for me not to be involved in because I could not give you a, a top two. Never mind a top five. We've had this conversation. It's not a top five we're doing. It's just a general conversation. I cause... couldn't hold it though because I've not seen any. Or have I? If I you have. have. When we had this conversation, we, there was a lot more films you start naming. That's and, true. Yeah. I'm still going on holiday though. <laughs> Skype you in. Just do a little video saying this is Sam. <laughs> um yeah, Grant's coming back next week. Uh, so Sam will be gutted. Um she'll be pining over him, watching it on the video. Uh, oh yes. While I'm sunning it up in Lanzarote, I will be pining over missing huh? Grant on the episode. I actually yeah. will be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish I had a fat midget here taking the <laughs> Uh, and um, Jake is joining us, so Nerdy Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Uh, and then I think Sam he risen. The he has risen. Uh, I think Sam and Jake will probably be doing some Twitch streaming during the week as well. So yeah, um, get on board with that. Like I say, they're doing really well. I might even show me face at some point if if I get get time. So yeah, um, like I say, thank you everyone. Follow us on our Facebook group. Follow us on wherever you can find us. And sorry, Kelly, that your battery sorry, ran out. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, she would have said thank you. But uh, thank you both for, for putting up with us. But uh, yes, same bad time, same bad channel. Stay nerdy, everyone. Bye. Bye.